Saints and the Miami Dolphins. Um, I took trips to both places. The feeling that I got when I came here, the sincere feeling that these guys really wanted me here and they really had confidence in me and, you know, obviously the issues with my, you know, with, with my surgery and everything else, I just felt like they had as much confidence in me as I had in myself. And that really meant a lot to me. And, and that just made me feel like I belonged here. I know that this town is craving a winner, and you're going to get one. What is up? It is the Sportscaster Season 10, Episode 3. My name is Steve Bennett, currently safely quarantined in my home in North Tonawanda, New York. And it's great to be back with you. I had a little bit of a vacation with the family, was in Florida, and uh, wanted to post an episode beforehand, decided to hold off. And uh, then, of course, I got back and kind of the whole world just crumbled around us. Uh, and I have two great interviews, so I figured now's the time. Let's get one out. And then I'm kind of curious, with everyone quarantined, are interviews going to be easier to get or harder? I'm not sure, but uh, it's great to be back. We have a great show today. John Feinstein, uh, the author of a great new book called The Backroads to March, uh, will be our first guest. And then a really great hour and 20-minute or so long hang with Jeff Prohm in his second Uh, We have a ton of information in the book club, and then I'll tell you all about my vacation and one last thing, if you care about that. If you don't, no big deal. Cut us off there, uh, because everything else will be done at that point. Before we get to the interview with Feinstein, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on, the coronavirus, uh, an unprecedented situation where basically everything uh, in the world, really, just about is canceled as far as sports goes. It's very disappointing. I'll say this disclaimer once, and we said it once in the in the interview with Feinstein. Obviously, there's more important things uh, in the world right now than this podcast, but if you're listening to it, I assume you're looking to get away from that, uh, so we're going to do that as much as we can uh, as we go through this. Um, look, it's a bummer. Uh, it's a disappointment that Jack Eichel doesn't get to finish the season he had. Uh, at least at this point, it doesn't seem like he will. <laughs> There's a rumor going around that the NHL may come back with a 2014 playoff. And of course, the Sabres are currently in 25th place. Uh, so they would miss that as well, <laughs> which is pretty funny. But look at we're going to be without for a while. The NFL uh, has started their league year in, in lieu of the, uh, the collective bargaining agreement was ratified. So they have labor peace for 10 years and free agency open today. There's been a ton of moves. Uh, Drew Brees is coming back for another year with the Saints, so I'm I'm thrilled there. Uh, That's great. We'll see if Taysom Hill or Teddy Bridgewater leave uh, one or both. Uh, I would assume Hill will be back and Bridgewater will be gone. That'll play out in the next couple days. Will the Saints be able to free up some money to to land a Jamie Collins type player? Uh, Will Von Bell be back or will he be gone? So a lot of questions to answer with the Saints. And, of course, whoever your team is around the NFL. Obviously, the Bills have a lot of cap space. Haven't seen them make a move yet. Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins traded by Houston uh, for David Johnson. So a lot of moves in the NFL. Maybe next time, 
for the next show, we can get a Lombardi uh, or someone fun to kind of talk about everything that goes on in this first week of free agency. Uh, but yeah, it's a bummer not to have sports. It's going to be crazy without him. I'm going to do my best uh, to book a show, hopefully every week. Tammy is off work for the next five weeks, so doing the show should be pretty easy uh, for me in in terms of time, and I'd like to book one and do one every week for you guys uh, who are looking for maybe some extra content since you're locked down. Uh, With all that said, I want to thank everyone who's listening, and uh, I got two great interviews for you today, lots of updates in the book club. Uh, You might have some time to read some books, and I got a few fresh ones for you uh, in the book club, so we'll talk about that then. Uh, But let's get into this. Let's take a break, and we will be right back with John Feinstein. Our first guest today is one of the most accomplished sports writers of all time. Uh, the author of two of the highest-selling sports books of all time, and the author of a new book called The Backroads to March. He's a Duke grad. He writes for the Washington Post, among other places. He's a legend, and it's an honor to have him on the show today. A Warren Sportscasters welcome to John Feinstein. Hey, John. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, Steve. How are you? I'm doing okay, coming to grips with uh, with things, I think, and just trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do with myself the next... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're all going through that. Uh, we will be going through that. Uh, the one person I know who is happy about this is my nine-year-old daughter because I won't be away for most of the next month. So you, you got to search for silver linings, I guess. Yeah, we just returned home from Disney World. So like, if we had planned the vacation you know, two weeks later, we would have kept Yep, you, you wouldn't know. have had one. Right, so there's a silver lining for us. Um. We all, I mean, obviously, look at, we're scared, we we hope everything's good, like everything, all, everything that is established, but we're talking about this book for a second, so I want to ask you this question, and I'm sure you've thought of this, how does this affect your book? As an author, you have to think of that, like, there's, sure. no, there's no tournament now, um, you know, uh, there's this major force, force and focus of attention on this other thing, uh, you know, I talked to Jeff Perlman about he has a Lakers book coming out, and I talked to him about what his thoughts were when he heard about Kobe Bryant. And of course, we said, you know, hey, Kobe Bryant passed away, but and and the same thing with this, you know, horrible. But as the author of this book, you know, again, you know, what were your thoughts? What do you think? Well, the the book is called The Back Roads to March because we wanted it to come out as it did in early March and to use the NCAA tournament as a springboard to tell the stories that are in the book about uh, players and coaches and teams who aren't on the radar most of the time, aren't being screamed about by ESPN people and CBS people to a lesser degree. Um, And Loyola Chicago and their run to the Final Four and how it affected the lives of everybody at the school, Uh, UMBC and their upset over uh, Virginia two years ago and how it affected the lives of everybody involved, players, coaches, the entire school, those are a couple of the stories that are part of this book, and, and they're, they're, they're key to the fact that these teams had success uh, in the NCAA tournament. And 
a lot of the interviews that I've been doing since the book came out 10 days ago now uh, have changed in tone over the last 72 hours for obvious reasons. Uh, because this is the story in the country, because there isn't going to be an NCAA tournament. Uh, and so all the, the natural publicity that would come with the tournament being played and with Selection Sunday and everything leading to that uh, is now changed. And uh, it, I doubt it'll be, be good for book sales. I, I have had a lot of people tweet at me or say to me, Hey, you know, people should go out and buy this book. The reviews have been terrific, which is a good thing. Right. Um, to give them something to do when there are no basketball games to watch over the next few weeks. And I love that idea. I hope people will do it. But uh, obviously, a lot of the publicity that would be attendant to the publication of the book, which, as I said, is why we published it now, uh, isn't going to be there. And, you know, frankly, uh, it's disappointing, but. My my suffering, quote unquote, uh, as a result of this is you know on a right, scale of, of one course. to ten, about a one compared to to the the players involved in the tournament, people who are uh, quarantined on ships, people who are going to lose huge amounts of income because of this. It may cost, it will cost me some income, I'm sure, uh, but it's relatively speaking, I try to keep things in perspective. It's kind of minor, right. Do you guys talk uh, strategy-wise? Is it like, well, maybe next year for the tournament we'll put out the paperback and kind of do the publicity thing over again? Like, Do you think of things like that at all? Or, Well, it's automatic that, that paperback comes out about a year after the hard hardcover uh, publication. So, yes, we'll do that. My guess is I'll add an epilogue or a chapter of some kind uh, before the paperback that will right. uh, talk about what happened and the fact that there was no tournament in 2020 and that a lot of the players and coaches I, I wrote about in the book who would have or might have been part of this uh, this tournament did not get that chance. Uh, the, the great example, because you, you raise a good point, the great great example is Hartford. And, and they were going to play uh, tomorrow against Vermont, uh, in the America East Championship game. Hartford's never been to the NCAA tournament. John Gallagher, their coach, has never been to the NCAA tournament as a head coach. Uh, and this was a huge thing for the school. They they won on the road against Stony Brook to get into the championship game. Uh, and Hartford was part of the book because uh, the America East and UMBC, as I said, were part of the book. And right. they actually played in maybe the best game I saw all last season. They came from 26 down in the America East semifinals to, to take UMBC into overtime and finally lost in double overtime. So here's this great moment in their lives that was taken away. And I spoke to John Gallagher right after the cancellation yesterday. Uh, I was writing a column for the Washington Post. And he said the hardest thing, it was hard talking to his players, he said the hardest thing was trying to explain to his eight-year-old daughter why they weren't going to get to play again when they hadn't lost. Because to her, your season stops when you lose, as right. it is to most of us. Um, so I would imagine uh, stories and anecdotes like that would be part of a an extra epilogue that I would add before the paperback comes out next year. I think you're the per- perfect person to kind of put something into perspective for me and for the listeners. My brother was a D1 athlete, and I was talking to him um, yesterday. We were just kind of talking about everything. And he was – he dreamed of being a D1 athlete. Like that was his goal, his dream. He never really thought about pros. It was about 
playing college hockey and where he would play college hockey. And he got to do that, and he got to do it very successfully and win a national championship. And we were we stumbled upon this tweet from Cornell, who was ranked number one in the polls. Second, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, number one in the polls and number three in the uh, pairwise, which is big for the college hockey tournament. So just having an unbelievable year. And they, they just kind of tweeted this picture of the guys kind of around each other. And it was kind of like they had like a goodbye skate or whatever. And we were kind of talking about the seniors and that team and the unfinished business and all that. And I mentioned basketball. I said, think about, and this is what I want you to put in perspective. So think about a team like Dayton or San Diego State and the seasons they had and how like a team like Duke or Kansas, we know they'll be back next year, right? Feel right. feel terrible for the kids maybe that on those specific teams. I'm not diminishing that, but the programs themselves, it'll come back around again for them. Can you put into perspective how rare, how much work it goes into for a backroads team uh, like Dayton or San Diego State or maybe another you want to throw out um, that I'm not thinking of? Um, well, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a very good point. Uh, I look at the Ivy League kids right. who Yale won the regular season title, but Harvard, who finished second, beat Yale twice. And the uh, Ivy League tournament was scheduled to be played uh, at Harvard. And the last two years, Harvard had to play on the road in the Ivy League tournament in the championship game, first in the Palestra against Penn, then last year at Yale against Yale. And this was their time to get a crack at it on their home court. Right. Uh, and they've beaten the one team that was seated ahead of them twice, and all of a sudden it's gone. And they are a senior team. Uh, they have, I think, five or six seniors on their team. And they're not, they're, they're, they're not pros. They're very good college players, but they're not pros. Uh, and all of a sudden, boom, it's over. And I think you know uh, uh, as well as I do that it doesn't matter where you go to school, whether it's Cornell to play hockey or Harvard to play basketball or some of the places I went last year like Campbell and Longwood and uh, uh, you know, Patriot League schools, Army. It's, 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 it's been an important part of your life for as long as you can remember, and then it just ends. I mean, we all know, and, and all those kids know it's going to end, but they expect it to end, frankly, on a basketball court. They hope it'll end with a win of some kind, but more likely it'll end with a loss. And there's sadness and there's disappointment, but you got the chance to compete. And I think that's what all these kids are being denied, and, and it had to be done. I'm not criticizing anybody right, we're for not, making the decision. It had to be done, sure. but they've lost the opportunity to compete, which is the thing that most athletes at any level crave the most. And it... It, again, putting it in perspective, they're not the ones quarantined on a ship. They're not the ones who are going to lose income that they desperately needed during the month of March. Um, they're not you know, city managers who all of a sudden aren't going to get that influx of money to their budget because the NCAA tournament comes to town in one form or another. And so, it, it, but, but still, it's very sad because you, you, the reason – I think Dayton, San Diego State are very good examples to bring up. Those are once-in-a-lifetime seasons for these, these programs. Right. Obi Toppin's not going to be back at Dayton next year. Uh, San Diego State won't be as good next year as it, as it was this year. And like you said, Duke, Kansas, Gonzaga, 
uh, the other power schools that were going to be in the tournament, they'll be back next year. There's sadness for, for some of their players too, especially the seniors, although play, schools like Duke and Kentucky don't have that many seniors. But even so, there is sadness for those guys. But there's more sadness, I think, for a school like Hartford that was trying to, as John Gallagher said, was 40 minutes away from its dream yeah. playing Austria. in a championship game. Sorry? Hofstra, which is yeah. qualified. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It was, 2002 was the last time they were in the tournament. Jay Wright was the coach at the time. Uh, and, again, Hofstra was a team I spent a good deal of time with last year researching back roads to march, and I know how much it meant to those players and how sad they were to come up one game short last year losing the championship game to Northeastern. But at least they had the chance to compete. And these got, this, this Hofstra team did the job, won the tournament, and now they don't get to go on to the NCAA tournament. Right. Man. Um, you talked about how the book has been getting great reviews, and I'm too, I am read two hundred. I was able to read 289 pages. I think I'm on chapter 27 or something. And what I was thinking about when I was reading the book was you kind of, I think why it's being so well-received is you kind of tapped into what we all what made us fall in love with the NCAA tournament, right? Like, we all love the uh, the Final Four. That's great. Um, those games are great. But what we really love is that Thursday and Friday, uh, the first weekend, and the buzzer beaters and the Cinderellas and the small schools versus the big schools and what that means. And, like, that's really – that's the romance of the tournament, right? Like, that's the – yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that, that's that, what you tapped that's into That's what in separates the NCAA tournament from any other major sporting event. You know, e- even the college football playoff, it's just power teams with huge budgets. I mean, you're not right. going to get no. uh, 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 you're not going to get VCU <laughs> competing for a national championship or George Mason or right. Butler or or Loyola of Chicago. They, they, most of those schools don't even have football teams. Uh, or if they do, they play D2 or FCS or but they don't play. They don't play against the big boys. But in college basketball, yeah, the, the, to me, the two best weeks of the college basketball season are the week of the conference tournaments and that first weekend of the NCAA's. Uh, and I went to Dayton last year because I, 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 even though the way that the so-called first four originally came about was disgusting, because the the power conferences didn't want to give up an at-large bid, so they sent two. Uh, 16 seeds to play, play in what was then just one play-in game in Dayton. Right. But when I went to the first four, it was amazing how much it meant to Fairleigh Dickinson to win an NCAA tournament game, to Belmont to win an NCAA tournament game, uh, to North Dakota State to win an NCAA tournament game, and the disappointment of the kids on the other side of those games. And uh, and then, like you said, those, those first-round games, I, I, you know, Tennessee ended up beating Colgate last year. In, in Columbus, but Colgate came from like 18 down to take the lead at one point, and Tennessee made a couple big shots at the end and hung up on, and won. And Rick Barnes, who was the winning coach, who was scared to death, said, "This is what makes the NCAA tournament special. What Colgate just did, and the fact that they scared us to death. It was a 15 versus a two, and then, of course the year before that that UMBC win over Virginia, the only 16 seed in 140 games to win uh, a first round." And Ryan Odom's career will always center, no matter what he goes on and does, and I think he'll go on and do a lot, by the way, but people will always come back to the fact that he was the first coach to take a 16th seed to a win over a one seed. And 
all credit to Tony Bennett and his team for coming back and doing what they did last year yeah, winning amazing. the national championship. Talk about getting off the mat. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Good description. I, uh, we featured a book by Gene Wojciechowski a long time ago called uh, The Last Great Game. You know, which, Duke in Kentucky. Yeah, about yeah. Duke. And I love that book. Amazing. You know, like, and he was on it. We did this. Me and him did this. It was great. And I, I have great revere for that book. And I was thinking about that when I was reading yours because I was thinking, okay, Gene wrote the great book that I love about the big guys and the finals. And, and I mean, I guess that was a regional final. But, you know, uh, about that, the, the top uh, dogs. The yeah, blue two bugs. of the blue bloods. Right. And John brilliantly thought, let me write the book about that other thing in the tournament, the thing that's romantic, the thing that you write in the in the very beginning about one shining moment and how there's a little corniness to it, but despite <laughs> that, there's like a beauty to it still, right? And and that's sort of this, like it. sometimes, it, you know, maybe there's a little corniness to um, to the to saying a romantic thing about a basketball tournament, right? But there's a reality to it, and you really tapped into it well, and, and maybe I'm repeating myself or, or going back to you to ask you something you already answered, but I just really think it was brilliant that the, that you tapped in on that. And, and Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. And look, um, my background as a reporter is probably different than a lot of other guys. I started out at the Washington Post as a night police reporter and then covered cops and courts and uh, found that you don't have to be rich and famous to have a story to tell. A lot of people who live seemingly ordinary lives have remarkable stories to tell. And I, I've followed that. I mean, I've obviously, I've been around the biggest names in, in, in sports. I've been around Bob Knight and Mike Krzyzewski and Tiger Woods and Tom Brady and anybody else you might care to name, John McEnroe and Chris Everett back in the 80s and 90s when I covered tennis. Um, but I also think I have an appreciation for the struggle. And, and you talked about why people have reacted so well to this book. I think they understand the struggle. They understand, you know, what it's like to be the underdog and what it's like to try to beat someone you're not supposed to beat. I wrote a book about uh, minor league baseball a few years back. I wrote a book about the Army-Navy football rivalry. None of those kids were going to play in the NFL. Um, I wrote a book about Patriot League basketball, and in many ways, this book is uh, that book, The Last Amateurs, on steroids because it's national. It's not just about one conference, and I've never had trouble finding stories. I, I, what I love to do more than anything is find a story that nobody else is writing, nobody else is reporting or, or looking at. And the, the reaction I love most is when somebody who's read one of my books or read part of one of my books, whatever, is when they say, I didn't know that. To me, that's what reporting is, to tell people something they don't know, and that's what I tried to do in, in The Back Roads to March. And it's filled with those moments because, I mean, obviously I know that, you know, Virginia lost to, was a US, US, uh, UMBC, but I didn't know the story of that team. You know, I knew right. that that uh, the team from Chicago went to the Final Four. I knew that. But I didn't know much about that team beyond the old nun that watched the games, right? Like that's Sister what, Jean. Yeah, that's what I really remembered about that team. So there's a ton of moments. She was the star. There's no doubt. <laughs> she was. There's a ton of moments that you just described. And you mentioned your old books. You wrote one called Season uh, Season on the Break. What, what, what's that about, that book? It's about a <laughs> yeah, season a that was Bob Knight. <laughs> that was a joke based on one of your tweets. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you read my Twitter feed. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, the best question I got when I was uh, yeah. when I was uh, promoting that book when it first came out was a, a TV reporter who asked me if I if I'd ever met Bob Knight, and I said, "Well, I was with him every day for six months." And she said, "Did you did he know you were there?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, I weighed two hundred pounds, which back, which was the truth back then. Uh, it would have been hard for me to for him to miss me every day for six months." The book. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't bomb that badly. Uh, the book is called "The Backroads to March: The Unsung, Unheralded, and Unknown Heroes of a College Basketball Season" by, of course, uh, the great John Feinstein, and uh, it's available now, of course, wherever books are sold and ebook versions as well. And it's a good reason, I know, as they say on Twitter, to uh, go to a local bookstore and buy a book and bring it home, and maybe on Thursday at twelve thirty-five instead of. Um, turning the games on you can uh sit back and read it i still got about what i say i was on chapter 27 or something i got about, 100, got about 120 pages, pages left or so to uh, i think i'm going to save for for that purpose let me get you out of here on this john uh to borrow one from your friend um tony kornheiser uh you mentioned it, i just thought of it i, I got to ask you before i let you go you mentioned your background as a court reporter and uh writing about that for the washington post were you a wire guy no, no. I, I, I started at the Post as a summer intern in sports, and when no. uh, Hold on. the internship was over, okay. there were no openings in sports, but I was offered a chance to stay as the night police reporter. When I'd been in college, I covered news and sports, so I did have some background. And this was not that long after Watergate. If they'd offered me a job sweeping the floors, I'd have, I'd have taken it. <laughs> and it turned out to be a great education for me as a reporter. Uh, Bob Woodward was, was my editor. Uh, for part of that time, I probably learned more from Bob in a year and a half than I learned from anybody else uh, the rest of my life. And uh, it also was very good for me because when you've knocked on the door of a family uh, that's just lost a child uh, in some way, uh, or when you've covered murders, as I did, uh, going into a losing locker room was never hard for me again. Right. And uh, I think that's that's uh, helped me out a lot to keep perspective on what sports is about and you asked me that question early on about how uh, the, the shutdowns of, of every sport, particularly of the NCAA tournament, would affect the sales of this book. Um, I have no idea. Uh, I hope people will still get out and buy the book. But if I lose a few book sales uh, as a result of the shutdown of the tournament, like I said, I'm suffering a lot less than most people. Of course. And, and John, this is why I'm doing a podcast in my bedroom. I totally blew that question. <laughs> I was trying to ask you, and that was it got great information anyway, so maybe I shouldn't have outed myself. But I was trying to ask you if you enjoyed the show The Wire based on your background. Oh, <laughs> I love the show The Wire. Okay. And, 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 and uh, uh, I, 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 I often communicate with, uh, I, God, John David, Simon? David I, Simon. I'm forgetting. David Simon. Yes. Thank you. I, you know, this is what happen when, happens when you get old. Uh, oh, yeah. Frankly, because I'm a big fan of his, yeah. and he says he's a fan of mine, and it's nice to have a fan who's uh, that brilliant. Yeah, what a show. I, I just thought of that because you had uh, said your background, and I, I know that was a background of the showrunners. And I spent time in Baltimore um, when I was covering Cops and Courts, and the way David portrayed uh, those city streets was, from what I saw, pretty damn accurate. Yeah, I mean, it's almost cliche to say, like, the wire's awesome, Um but the way is awesome. So, yep. Yeah. It is. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Um, again, it's The Backroads to March, the unsung, unheralded, and unknown heroes of a college basketball season by John Feinstein. Anything else you want to mention or promote before I let you go? I know you got a. No, I, I think you covered it. 
covered it well. And like you said and I said, uh, I hope for some people at least this will be a way to get through the next few weeks uh, without basketball. All right, we will talk again soon, hopefully when it's better times, you know, and we could maybe get yes, into happier some, times. Yeah, some more football stuff like we've done in the past uh, or whatever comes up. But I will be in touch uh, during happier times. Be safe. Best to you and your family. And uh, Thanks, Steve. Same to you. Take care. Time. Okay. Bye-bye. Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points Hollering out She was a black-haired beauty With big dark eyes And points all her own Sudden way up high I want to thank the great John Feinstein For being on the podcast today Of course, John is the author of a book We just discussed called The Back Roads to March uh, the unsung, unheralded, and unknown heroes of college basketball season. Now, uh, the Backroads of March is, of course, a part of the book club book, uh, the book club books this month. Uh, but they requested to do the interview right away. They didn't want me to sort of build the book a little bit and then promote it the way we normally do. Uh, the publisher requested that we do it now, so we did it now. Uh, and of course, you just heard the interview with John, uh, which was awesome to do. That's two books in a row. Uh, Feinstein Books featured in the book club. We did Quarterback, his last book, and now uh, The Road to March. Hopefully, he never writes another book that isn't part of this book club. Uh, his books are really that important. Uh, I don't think Jeff Perlman will ever write another book that's not a part of this book club. I don't think Jeff Passan, if he ever writes another book, wouldn't be a part of this book club. And there's a lot of authors like that. Uh, John Feinstein's now on that list. Uh, I do have a copy to give away. If you're interested in it, in it, the email address is the sportscasters at gmail.com and hit me up and I will get you a copy. Now, we have another book to announce as part of the book club book of the month and it's a big one and I mentioned last time in episode two that we're going to do a baseball book and I think this is a huge get. It's by an author named Keith Law who's the senior baseball writer at The Athletic. If you like baseball, you know Keith. He's never been on before. I can't wait to have him on. And his book is called The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves. I have an uncorrected proof of the book, uh, which comes out in April sometime. And uh, I'm going to have an opportunity to get a few of these to give away as well. Uh, when the book is printed, they're going to send me a few to give away to you guys. Uh, so again, the sportscasters at gmail.com if you're interested in The Inside Game. If I gave you a book before... Uh, that doesn't mean you need to be shy. I will, uh, you know, I, I'd love to give it to people who have been loyal to me. So don't be afraid to reach out if I've given you a book before. But I'm really excited about the inside game. It, it's, from what I've read, I read a little bit on the plane. It's a really great, easy, kind of quick read. Uh, and look, at, I can't wait to have Keith on. Really, this is why we created the book club, right? It's to get John Feinstein and Keith Law on this podcast. Because a sure way to get someone on is to get them when they're promoting a book. Artie Lang would have never been on this show, right, if he wasn't promoting a book. And I was able to track him down. John Smoltz probably never would have been on. You know, um, trying to think who else would get it. Oh, Frank DeFord, the best example of that ever, 
right? A legend. When I am done with this show someday and someone says, what was great about it? I will say, I got to talk to one of the great sports writers of all time and Frank DeFord before he passed away. I mean, whoo. And it happened because of the book club. So those are two new books. Another thing I wanted to mention was Blake J. Harris. His book is out in paperback. Um, it's been out a year, which is crazy, right? Because we have been talking about how we have not really hooked up uh, a few different times. We've been close to hooking up with him, and it didn't work out. But now that the paperback of his book is out, we'll definitely get him in. It's called The History of the Future, Oculus, Facebook, and the Revolution that Swept Virtual Reality. Wanted to mention that for sure, and I do have a copy of that as well to give away if you're interested. All right, so that's where we are with the book club. Two books this month, The Back Roads to March, The Unsung, Unheralded, and Unknown Heroes of College Basketball Season by John Feinstein. We just heard the interview for that. And then The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves by Keith Law, uh, the senior baseball writer at The Athletic. He's also a senior writer uh, about baseball for ESPN Insider. He was a special assistant to the general manager for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he wrote for Baseball Prospectus. Prospectus, excuse me. So, a stud. That's the book club update. Now, in a second, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Jeff Perlman, great fan of the show. Friend of the show, of course, uh, is on with me. It's a long interview. It's a hang. And I thought about cutting some of it. And decided, no, I'm going to leave it as is. We recorded this probably a month ago now. Uh, maybe a little bit maybe a little bit less than that. Maybe three weeks ago. And we get into the virus a little bit before it's the thing it is now. There's only like five or ten minutes of politics in the very beginning. And then we kind of turn away from that. And we get into the great part about this interview, which I'm really excited for you to hear. And that is how the death of Kobe Bryant is going to change or affect the book that he has coming out in September about Kobe Bryant and uh, the 2000 Lakers, uh, that era with Shaq and Kobe. He's got some amazing stuff, and uh, you're going to love this. If you like this show, I assume you like when Jeff and I talk. Uh, and we did it for a while this time. He even almost gets pulled over, and he's telling me I'm going to have to cut it. Then it's not him, so he says we don't have to cut it. I say I'm going to cut it. I left it. Uh It's a fun, fun listen. After that, I'll be back. I'll do some plugs, and we'll do one last thing. I'll keep that short. But I think you're going to love this. So sit back. Enjoy your quarantine anyway. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Our friend, Jeff Perlman. Our next guest is a sportscaster's legend and one of the great authors of sports books in the United States of America today. He's a good friend of the program and he's making, I don't know how many, but a lot appearance on the show today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend Jeff Perlman. What's up, Jeff? How you doing, buddy? I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm driving from Arizona to California 
and it's like a six and a half hour drive. So I'm getting a little punch drunk, but overall I'm okay. What is your limit for cars? Like, what is the tipping point where you're like, no, I'm flying? Oh, I love driving. You I do? I drive all the time. Love. Driving is my favorite. If it's a two-hour flight or seven-hour drive, I'm taking the seven-hour drive every time. Oh, I think six or seven is about my limit, and then I want to fly. Because I love mini-marts. I'm a huge fan of mini-marts. I love mini-marts. I love all the opportunities presented by the mini-mart. <laughs> my favorite thing. Did you stop at one on this trip? Oh, I think I made four stops already. I love mini-marts. I, oh, you like, I bought my dad a... Uh, I was at a stand in a tiny town in Arizona, and there was the Donald Trump 2020 stand. And oh, I stopped in, sure you love and that. I got my dad, who's very liberal, a Hunters for Trump shirt. Oh, <laughs> he'll love that. Yeah, he'll think it's funny. <laughs> so, uh, and I actually had, I had a nice conversation with the guy. You yeah. Know, like, uh, yeah, he didn't love, I don't think he was like, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs about Donald Trump. I just think he hates the Democrats. Right. And, uh, but it was, you know, I, I like those conversations. I, I, th- I think there's that. a lot of Republicans like that, you know, who... Kind of are like, especially in the beginning of his first term, when it was, you know, when there was control of the presidency and the Senate and the House, like, man, this is such a great opportunity. I wish we had a more seasoned and skilled politician who wasn't quite as polarizing and maybe would have been able to, you know, get a little bit more conservative legislation through at that time. But he's a pretty skilled politician. I will say that. I can't stand him, but he's a skilled politician. He's very good at, um, you know, he's very good at using um, the things that are said about him to his advantage. You know, he's really skilled in that way. And obviously he has used social media really to his benefit really well. And uh, one thing I'm surprised about most with him is when he was elected, I mean, I wasn't really convinced he was a conservative. I mean, for my whole life, I knew him as a, you know, a New York liberal and, you know, a friend of the Clintons. And um, but he has governed relatively conservatively, which was a kind of concern of mine. Um, Well, he governs to I'm not saying this snidely. He governs to Fox News. I I actually think and probably wisely if he doesn't carry it. I don't think he cares either way. Like, do you think Donald Trump actually cares pro-life, pro-choice? No, no. Come on. Not, pa- no, not passionately. Of course not. Do you think he cares? Uh, I mean, do you think he ever prays? Like, do you think that guy, I mean, no. But he knows who's buttering his bread. And if you have no, like, true moral compass, and he's not the only politician ever without a true moral compass, you go with a, who's buttering your bread. And far-right conservatism has really loved Donald Trump and turned out for him, you know? And they will again in 2020. He very easily could have been a democratic president if the circumstances played out that way. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think, um, you know, I don't look at him as someone who's like a, uh, a beloved, you know, like he loves Republican and the party, you know, it just, that was what was available to him. And, you know, I think, I think he is, I think he is passionate about like negotiating tariffs and things like that. I think that interests him. Um, but yeah, but do you think he understands, do you think he understands the intricacies of it? Because I, I think he likes to negotiate. He likes to be seen as a deal maker. Yeah. But even the other day on Twitter, he was trying to explain the intricacies of tariffs, and he got it wrong. So I'm not so sure. I think he likes being known as a deal maker, and I don't. I don't think he's very. I just. I know we're just. I just don't think he's very intelligent. I just don't. I think he's a marketer, not a 
deep thinker. Yeah, I don't think he's a genius. You know what I mean? I think I'd probably do better than on the SATs than him. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't feel like he's superior to me or to you or to most people I know intellectually. Um no. he's a great marketer. Yeah. One of the best marketers we've ever seen. Yeah. He's, he's a brilliant marketer. He's promoter. fantastic. And I know I told you this before, and I am gonna turn this into a question for you. When that in the sixteen cycle started and there were that first Republican debate, there was like, you know, sixteen, seventeen people on the stage. I remember my brother and I wrote a ranking on who we'd want to get the nomination from one to 16 and he had him 15th and I had him 16th. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Funny. and I was yeah. wondering when I was watching like the first democratic debate oh. or two, you know, how do Democrats rank these guys, you know? And, and guys, Oh, I love that question. You know, like, I when, love that question. yeah. Who did you have? Like, what was kind of your pecking order you, at the beginning of the cycle? Are you talking about, are you talking about the very beginning? Yeah, like at the beginning of the cycle when there was truly like a huge range of people on the stage, you know, because yeah. eventually those 16 Republicans got down to, you know, four or five, just like now yeah, right, the right. Democrats are down to four or five. But at the beginning yeah. of the cycle, like how did you, was there a, uh, what was the hierarchy for you? I had a weird one. I had, I now I don't remember all whatever. Right, yeah, just kind of generally. You don't yeah. have to like rank all I 16. Had, I had Jay Inslee as number one, as my favorite. Okay, from, I barely uh, remember him. <laughs> I had, I had, yeah, I know he's barely yeah. there. I had Biden, Biden number two, uh-huh. which I would, which was a huge mistake. I had Warren number three. I still like Warren. I had, um, I had Bernie the same place you had Trump, right? And I still have Bernie the same place you have Trump. Right. He's a bad candidate. Yeah. Um, and then in between, I had, I fluctuate a lot. Like I was very high on Mayor Pete, then I wasn't high on Mayor. I love Kamala Harris, but she's got the problem is. It's the same always with everyone. They're, everyone has a hole. Like, all of them. I thought Cory Booker, in hindsight, I don't know what they did to Cory Booker or what Cory Booker did wrong, but I thought he was probably, soup to nuts, the best candidate they had. Yeah, I think they all talk too much, you know? And eventually Maybe. they say something that exposes that hole that they have. And then that, you know, can sink them. You know, we were talking on Twitter, like, or um, excuse me, on text a couple of weeks ago, we're like, "Wow, this Bloomberg thing might happen." One debate, yeah. and he just got, yeah, right. You know, Good like point. I guess that's not happening anymore. Like that fell apart quick, um, which is so crazy about how this works. I think in 2015, when those days, I think I had Kasich as number one at the first debate, or you know, I probably at the first one, I probably had Christie number one, and then maybe Kasich too. But um, by Christie, yeah. You know, he's not perfect, but, you know, Italian guy. No. <laughs> Italian guy. I do like, you know, I really liked him at the beginning of his run as governor, you know, where he came into a bankrupt state and, like, held the line and said, no, we are going to change this. And I kind of liked his leadership. And then what I really didn't like is it was really the Republican Party that that turned on him and, and really ruined his credibility um, because he wasn't the guy they wanted in the long term. You know, I don't think it was Democrats saying, oh, he did this at the bridge. You know, I think that that was Republicans. And, um, you know, he's, you know, a fat guy sitting on the beach while the rest of the beach is closed. Like, that's just such a turnoff. You know what I mean? Like, get a little jaded about the individual people. You know, I feel like anyone who I've been really passionate about has sort of let me down a little bit. So, I don't know. It's a tough... Politics is a tough game. You know, it's a tough business out there. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Here's an interesting one I was thinking about today. 
So the coronavirus obviously is about to blow up in this country. I think that's inevitable. Uh, you know, sure. It's definitely a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's not the end of mankind, but it's not a great thing. Right. And we have a president who has just basically decimated his scientific, you know, the, the scientific advisors who traditionally help the White House. Um, he's marginalized science. He's mocked science as far as climate change, et cetera. I just think I could not think of a worse person to be in charge when something like this is happening. And I wonder, I wonder if Republicans will feel the same. If this gets really bad, if there's going to, and I'm not saying it to be politicized, it's a, people dying is not something to politicize, but like, I would have trusted George Bush with this. I would have trusted Obama with this. I would have trusted Clinton. I would have trusted Reagan. I would have trusted Carter. I can't imagine Donald Trump having any ability and eliminating basically anyone in the government who opposes to anything he says. I can't really trust his administration to handle something like this. And I think that's the problem with having a kind of buffoon as president. I don't know. It just really bothers me. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel good about this and what, what's going on here. Hmm. No, I kind of feel like people who know about it will step up and take care of it. But he got rid of ha- I mean, I don't know if you marginalize science and I don't know. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I do hope you're right. Sincerely. Yeah, no, that doesn't scare me. I think something like that. I mean, if it's, it's a failure you can't have, I mean, you can't have it turn into the plague. You know what I mean? I mean he already diminished. He already diminished the impact of it and said, don't worry, spring will come and Warm weather will take care of it, you know. Like, yeah, but is that is that a, is that an honest opinion, or is that something you say to try to calm people down, calm the base down? He's, a, he's the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. He's not, it's like saying it's like when he pretended what the path of the hurricane was with the marker. Like your job isn't to lie to make people feel better. But is saying that people. spring will come and is that a lie, or is that a? He doesn't even know. Yeah, it actually is a lie. Warm weather doesn't take care of this in and of itself. You actually have to have medical professionals taking care of the problem and nipping it and quarantining as many people as possible. Well, we talked about we talked about him not being incredibly smart by both of our opinions. Does he know all that for sure? I mean, you have to know that to lie, right? Do you really? All right, he makes. I just don't see that as a lie. I just don't see that as a lie. I just see that as just think about the a meaningless comment. But he, I just, I, I'm done with this. Like, not with you. I'm done with the whole, like, look, look. All right. He, yeah, he, he made a map and he drew in Sharpie on it. So it looked like the path of the hurricane. Like, all right, big deal. And all right. He doesn't really understand uh, coronavirus and the implications. And he probably hasn't consulted with the right, but, but it's all right. He's a, you know, blah, blah, blah. All I hear with this guy is this stuff. And meanwhile, from Bush, from Bush's response to Katrina, to Obama and Afghanistan, we put so much weight on everything those guys did from how they dressed to how they behaved to Bush mispronouncing nuclear to Obama wearing a beige suit. Like it all carried a weight and maybe it shouldn't have. Maybe you can make the argument it shouldn't have, but nothing this buffoon says yeah, nothing ever sticks to ruffles. Him. And no. Nothing. Yeah. Because he, it's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. No. It's baffling. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nothing sticks to him. I, that's why I thought strategically, I thought impeachment was horrible, and yeah, I I think that was proof correct. I mean, you impeach the guy. Well, maybe you just do it because it's the right thing. You impeach maybe you try doing the right thing. You impeach. That's yeah, not about that. You impeach the guy, and then he raises record money. 
that month. You know, like that was the that was what happened. I, I find it hard to believe that the Democrats were on a crusade for the right thing in that. Just like I don't think the but Republicans they were doing the right thing. I don't think the Republicans were wrong, on a crusade Nicole. for the right thing with Clinton either. I think it was a very partisan thing that they were waiting for anything since two thousand sixteen to jump on the opportunity to do that. I just strongly disagree. And if he wins again, they're going to try again. Yeah, but all right. He literally withheld government money from a country, from a, from a, obviously a foreign entity government in, in order to receive dirt on a political candidate. If that is not an impeachable offense, and you cannot tell me that if Obama did the exact same thing, the Republicans wouldn't have gone after him. You can't say it because you're not even saying it. Well, so I said it. I said it was partisan. I'm sure if the Republicans had a chance to make a partisan play out against Obama. Of course, they would have done it. They never tried to impeach him. And I think that they. I think that was smart. They didn't. I think it would have been horrible. But there was politics. nothing to impeach him on. That's the whole thing. There was nothing. The Republic, the Democrats, never tried to impeach Bush. There was nothing to impeach him on. Yeah, fair enough. I thought that that was pretty weak. I I didn't see the the phone call. Oh. I read the transcripts. I don't know the timeline. I just didn't think they the the imp, the you know the the burden of proof was on them. They never proved me proved to me that it was this incredibly impeachable thing, and then and nobody cared. Yeah, but the White House wouldn't allow the people they needed to testify to testify. Well, why didn't they the testify in the House? Why didn't when the Democrats they wouldn't allow? Half those people were not allowed to testify in the House. Why not? The Democrats were in control of that. How did they lose that battle? Because the White House blocked access. The. White House blocked access like to their I, witnesses? Yes. They said, we are not allowing them to testify. And then they didn't testify. Oh, that and happened in the said, Senate. You... I don't remember that happening in the House. No, in the House also. And then they said, what are you going to do about it? And there's nothing they could do about it. Ugh, no, you're making me mad. Don't make me mad. <laughs> no, I'm not mad at you. It I, was a, I can't re- relitigate. It, it, it was a mistake to do it. I don't know. It backfired. I they, I, if you believe it was the right thing, as I do, then you believe it's the right thing. And if you think it was just a political stunt like you do, then sure. So, I don't know. We just we can agree to disagree. Yeah, yeah fair enough. And I think that it's going to be too bad for people like you if Bernie Sanders is the nominee because I just don't think he's electable on a national scale. I think it's, I think it's a mismatch. And I don't think that Donald Trump uh, is that powerful versus many other people on the other side. I think he's the worst case scenario for Democrats. So it's funny. I, uh, I had on my podcast this week, Joe Walsh, who uh, ran, he's a Republican congressman who was actually running against Trump and he right. got nowhere, but he was running yeah. against Trump. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to hate, I hated Joe Walsh. I hated, blocked him on Twitter. Screw you, blah, blah, blah. A lot of back and forth. And then like, I kind of, I agree with him on almost nothing, but I really respect the guy because he, he just thinks Trump is an aspiring demagogue and a buffoon and blah, blah, blah. And he just, I don't want the Republican party this going this way. And, um, he, he sees a path for every, all of the Democrats to win. My problem with the Bernie thing, I agree with you 99%. Like you hear a lot of, look, nobody thought Trump could win either. And that's, that's an argument that can be made. Right. But fair. like, but that's like saying, I didn't think David Wells was going to throw a no hitter on that day. Like, right. That doesn't mean you're going to throw a no-hitter today. Right. David Wells threw a freak no-hitter against the Like, your odds still are so... T- like, Trump was a fluke of nature and a freak of nature, and everything went weird and wild. And I don't know. I kind of agree. I think Sanders could win. Right. But do I think he will? No. 
And I think he's, of the candidates, I think he has the biggest uphill battle, especially if he's going to throw Florida away with this Castro stuff. The best way for a Republican to win the presidency is to win Florida, right? I mean, that's been huge in every Republican victory, you know, since, you know, since Reagan had the landslide. Since then, you know, Florida's been so important. And yeah. for he's going to throw – I mean, if you can't win Miami, you can't win Florida. And he's going to lose Miami if he's still running around talking well, about Castro like this. So this is, this is what bothers me. So I am a very, very liberal person. Very, very liberal. Yes, very liberal. Extremely liberal. I am AOC level of liberal. I truly am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am also a pragmatist. And politics is not a win-all game. It's never been a win-all game. Like, you, just, you can't get everything you want in politics. And it feels like Bernie supporters, like Trump supporters love Trump in many ways because he was just like, screw you to everybody. And they fell behind like that, which I understand. Bernie supporters like Bernie because he's fighting for everything they believe in. And there's no like, but we can we can be a little more moderate here. None of that. And the problem is, like, you just can't. The reason Obama won, the reason Bush won, the reason Reagan, you know, like these guys came across as appealing to people other than a bait, you know, and they were able to pull a little from the other side. Um, and Bernie Sanders doesn't do that. He just doesn't do it. And it's a really hard platform to say, I'm raising taxes on the middle class. Like to say that, yeah, yep. your next line is, well, you're going to save money in the long run, but people are out. They're not listening. They're tuning you out right after I'm going to raise your taxes. You know what I mean? Like, Raising the taxes when he said he didn't cost Bush against Clinton, right? And, um, like, I just think it's just a really bad plan to be saying, look, Ed, I want to do this, do this, and this. And the way I'm going to do it is raise taxes, yes, on the middle class as well. You know? I mean, I don't um, know. Well, what's tough about it is, all right, so you can can attack Trump successfully. Yes. I'm saying the rich have gotten richer. The wealth gap has increased. He's vulnerable. This has not been a good... He has not been a good president for the middle class at all. You can you can do that. You can say, look at look at look at this tax guy. It was a ridiculous blah blah blah. So whether you agree or not, like that's the point you can make. Right, he's vulnerable but, there. Yes, very. Yeah, but when you then come back and say, and I'm going to raise taxes on the middle class, everything you just said about Trump gets drowned out. Right. So it's tough. Yeah. But the yeah. Democrats are all flawed. They're all well. Every politician me, is flawed. I know. Yeah. But if I were if my goal right now is to win, you're going to disagree with this 8,000 times over. I would cast my, and it's not going to happen, but I'd be Elizabeth Warren at this point. I would just take the shot with her. Well, I think, I mean, if I was you, my goal would be who can get this nomination that will beat Trump. Yes. And I think the person who has the least chance to do that is Bernie. I agree. So, I agree. I, you know, not and I'm not saying... He could never win because we've seen the greatest upset of our lifetimes just the last sure. election, right? So I'm right. not being an absolutist here. I'm just saying in terms of percentages of chance that he would win or she would win, I think Bernie has the lowest on that side. I would say Bernie is a – Bernie is a, a lot of those candidates are 50-50. Like if you put uh, Biden with all his flaws – Totally 50-50. 50-50. Yep. If you put, if you put Warren in – I'd say 45-55 Trump. Fair. Sanders feels like 25 to 30%. Yep. I agree. 
Yeah. yeah. And especially, I think that the Florida thing would be crippling for him. He's going to, like, yeah. he's going to lose Florida. Right? So that means if, you like, know, Trump can focus I, on Ohio and almost guarantee it right there. Yeah. I feel like uh, I never felt great about Florida for Sanders. I think, yeah, you know, but it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. The one thing he has, he does have. I mean, he has this enthusiasm. I mean, people turn out for him. Well, kids love him. Right? Kids love him. And Young they will. people and love him. Can you get them you to vote, though? People who never vote. Right. Can you, get those, can you get those kids maybe. to vote? Yeah, that's the challenge. Maybe. Yeah. Because uh, kids do love him, know. and he gets kids, young kids, really passionate. But historically, they don't, they don't vote. So the challenge is, can you get them out to the polls? I have no idea. I just don't know how this happened. I don't know how we ended up. We had some really interesting candidates. Beto for us was an interesting candidate. Julian Castro was an interesting candidate. How we ended up with Bloomberg, Biden, and Bernie Sanders as a three potential nominees, I don't know. I was saying the same thing in 2015, right? How did we end up with Trump? We had those 16 people. I like. I loved Kasich. Right. You know what I mean? Like Bush. Oh, was, I love him too. Bush love. was Bush was boring, but. He was like a. I think he was a good politician. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of the qualities Trump doesn't have, I think he had. He just had no, no charisma, no personality, and um, yeah. you know, Trump exploited that expertly. You know, it's like, sad. I think Bush. I think Jeb Bush would have been a pretty freaking good president, to be honest with you. Like, I think he, he might have been. been the, I think he might have been the been most good. qualified of that group. Yeah. Yeah. Just in or terms Kasich. of like quality. I think Kasich- Kasich was my John choice, Kasich you know, my first choice. I yeah. voted for Kasich. You know, I wrote I in, would have been that was president. my vote. I think he would have been a terrific president, John Kasich. I really, and I'm a Democrat. Yeah. I think he would have been a very good president of the United States. Yeah. Well, I think anyone who hates Trump as much as you would say, <laughs> like, I'll take any of those other guys, right? You know what I mean? Like, you know what was about... Yeah, but I like Kasich. I like Kasich at the time. I always, I'm a fan of moderate governors who are willing to hear other people and kind of are patient and have, you know have experience and I just and I thought he was a reasoned human being and a decent human being and I I just again I say this all the time I know no one cares we teach our kids not to bully not to mock not to belittle and then we stand behind the bully and I just find it really you know what I'll, I'll say about um, Trump is the idea that he ran on is a great idea right like this idea of yes this idea of um Look it, we've been letting these politicians do it for this long. Look how they've done it. Let's maybe try to run the the company like a, or the country like a business. Let's do it. But it was just kind of the wrong guy. You know what I mean? Like the idea was good, and it's almost like people bought the idea and just tuned out the guy. Like people, yeah, because were, if Bill Gates, if Bill Gates says that, or Mike Bloomberg says that, or pick anyone you want, right? Any actual real businessman, not a marketer, but right. a businessman, a good idea. Good thing to try. Let's try that. You know, let's try that. Carly Farina. Uh, Carly Farina is not my choice, but at least she was a successful businesswoman. Like, this is a marketer. This is actually a marketer yep. who people loved on TV. Right time. And, yeah. You know, who else, you know who yeah. else is like that? You, you're not going to no. agree with me, but AOC is like that. She is, yeah. she is so much like Trump, but a Democrat. She's so skilled at social media. She will say things. Truth doesn't matter to her that much. She'll just say things, and then well, I don't know. No, she's loose. She's very loose with what's true or feasible. She just says whatever that sounds good. So I literally, I literally don't know. Like I don't follow her closely enough on social media. Yeah, well, neither um, do I. I. The the examples yeah. I've seen, I, 
I'm speaking generally, not like every tweet. What I know about her, I'm sure there's someone maybe come back at me and say, oh, man, that was the first three months. She's so much more skilled now. That might be true. But my impression of her initially was just that, wow, she's very much like Trump where she's so skilled. Maybe I'll just focus on this. She's so skilled on social media and she's great on television, you know, and she's really good at using using that to enhance her politically – Regardless of how skilled or not skilled she might be politically. Wait, Steve. I'm yeah. serious. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what Trump has figured out better than anyone I've ever seen. I really mean it. And maybe she has to do a little bit. Like, people want to be entertained more than they want to be informed. They want to go to rallies. Like, Trump has figured out. He really has. When he's like, he'll say, I saw some of the presidents of the Democratic debate. It put me to sleep. And in a functioning society of intelligent people... Who gives a crap if it put you to sleep? They're supposed to be talking right. about issues that it actually matter. It should be matter. boring. Yeah, it should be boring. It should right? be boring. Yeah. It's supposed to be boring. It's right. a presidential debate. It's yeah. not supposed to be entertaining. And he's figured it out. He's yeah. People would rather, people want to be entertained. They want to go to his rally and cheer and right. laugh Hoot, holler. and mock people. And, and yeah, cable news is, is an example of that, right? It's really popular. It's not news. It's entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, a yeah. lot of those show the debate shows, things like that. Oh yeah, you know on cable news and I'm all cable news channel. I mean that's yeah. they're more they're I, more entertainment than news. Yeah, and it actually goes hand in hand because I said this actually. Joe Walsh and I were talking about this. Like you can blame CNN in a way. CNN comes along its first twenty four hour cable news network, and the original idea was all right. It's going to be news twenty four hours a day news, but there isn't enough news right. to go around over twenty four hours. Right. So what do we do? Let's give them opinions. Let's yep. give opinions. We're going to tell people what they should think and what we think. And now it's so little news and it's almost all people telling you what you should think. And if you're a hardcore Republican, you'll go to Fox and they'll yep. tell you what you should think and they'll reinforce your ideas. If you're a hardcore liberal, you go to MSNBC, they'll reinforce your ideas. And it's poisonous because no one's ever being challenged in their ideas. That's yeah. why I never, ever watch cable news. Never. Like literally never. I don't watch it. Yeah, neither do I. Never. Um, it yep. irritates me. You know what I mean? It's just, it's irritating. Yes. Um, if I do have a cable news, it's usually CNN for whatever reason. I don't know why. Maybe yeah. habit, you know, because it's always been there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, uh, but, oh, man, I'd much rather, uh, you know, try to find, like, an alternate news source of some kind or, you know. Use the thing it. is, CNN, all those places are fine. You just got to look around, you know. Yeah. No, wait. But I'm saying, like, if I'm at, if if there's a school shooting, a school shooting is not a great example. There's an earthquake. Yeah. And you go to Fox News. Yeah, you well, you'll go get there. good earthquake reporting at Fox yeah. News. You'll get a good at CNN. Yeah, if you sure. have a 23 hours of a day that can drive you crazy. Good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yep. Um, I do want to switch gears a little bit um, and okay. talk to you about something because I have a lot of questions about it. Right. Uh, the Kobe Bryant Memorial was – was it yesterday or today? Yeah, yesterday. Yesterday. Um, yep. And when this – when the news happened and I took it in – and thought about it for a second. You came to mind because you're my friend. Um, and I just thought about you and your book. And these que- by no means am I diminishing the tragedy. Like, of course. I get it. That's the most important. Like, of course. But I'm talking okay. to you. We'll you- take that into right. understanding that nine people died. Right. And it's a tragedy. And yes. book sales mean absolutely nothing a- in regards to that. Absolutely. Okay. But yep. this is a conversation separate to that. Okay. Okay. When you got through the shock and took it all in, 
What was the what were your first thoughts in terms of the book? Okay, that's a great question. Your first person asked me that. That's a very good question. So, I found out about it. A friend texted me. A writer named Amy Bass texted me, and she told me what happened. And I I was sitting alone, and I was just like, I think I said out loud. I really don't. I was like, No, what, what? I was like sitting in a coffee shop, right, Shit. in Irvine, California. Yeah. Just like, oh, what, you know? And mm-hmm. um, texted my wife. I was like, Blah blah blah. Uh, and just horrified, horrified, right? So then, at some point, probably two days later, I really. You know, oh, and then what happened is someone I know called me, someone who doesn't really know. I'm not going to call the person out because they're actually a good person and said, this is good for your book, right? It's someone who doesn't really follow sports. And I was like, I don't know. I like that. I, I don't care. That's right. Do too quick. Too so, soon, um, maybe. Also, like, I never want to have that conversation. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Like, it's not good for my book because it's not good. Like, right. it's not good. So I don't care. I would rather those people be alive and this book not exist. Oh, absolutely. We've a, yeah, absolutely. Obviously. Yeah. Right. So, but I said at some point when I sort of decided, I talked with my publisher about it, is that I needed to write a prologue, uh, a new prologue or an author's note at the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I went through the backlash of Walter Payton of Sweetness when I wrote that book and it came out. And people just saw an excerpt in Sports Illustrated. And it, was, it was about his later years and infidelity and depression, et cetera. And the backlash was fierce. Totally this unfair, book, too. But okay. Uh, it happens. And right. this book is about the 96 to 04 Lakers, where Kobe was not the most likable figure. And it's not, it's not an overly sympathetic view of Kobe Bryant because it was him. It's him from age of 17 to whatever, you know, 28, 29. And he just was, a, excuse me, 25. And he just was a different guy. He was young and immature and kind of incentive. So I just thought I wanted to put up front, like almost like, listen, uh, this is a period of development in this guy's life. Like I just found out he died. I'm beyond devastated. And I just kind of want to make it clear that this is not an entirety of Kobe Bryant. Like the Kobe Bryant you're reading about here um, is not the Kobe Bryant who you saw later on with his daughters, with his wife coaching, on Kimmel, you know, on Fallon, blah, blah, blah. Like, I just, I just kind of wanted to make that clear. Not so much, it sounds like a protective device, and I think my publisher probably thought of it that way, and that, that's fair. It was almost like just, like sometimes people need to be reminded that a book, especially a time period book, it's just a sliver of someone's life. It is not who they are incomplete. And if you walk away from this book and think, God, Kobe Bryant, what a blah, blah, blah. You're not understanding that is just it was just a developmental stage in his life, and and I don't want people to think in his death that I'm sitting here saying this is a horrible human being and screw him because that's not what I was saying at all. Did they ever ask you or say to you or float the idea of getting this out quicker? So interesting. We actually talked about having it come out later. Later, okay. Not quicker. Later. All right. So it's coming out in September, mm-hmm. and I did. So I did not. I did not ever want to be the guy who rushes a book to capitalize on someone's death. It yeah, just, you're not that, you know, guy. there was a book. It's funny. I was in the bookstore. I was in a Barnes and Noble. I think it was eight days after Kobe Bryant died. And there was a book called remembering Kobe with a forward by Jerry West. And I looked at the book and I was like, this looks familiar. And I went back home and I realized there was a book 
originally called, I think, Guarding Kobe or Facing Kobe. That came out maybe six years ago. And in between the time Kobe died, I mean, it had to be within three days of Kobe dying. They thought, here's a great idea. Let's put a new cover on it. Not say it was a previously released book um, and call it Remembering Kobe. And there was in bookstores within probably out a week after he died. And I just thought, who wants to be that person? Is, right. is, making, is making money that important? I just don't want to be that guy. So it was never, I never, ever would have considered moving it up. Uh, not at all. And they talked about moving it back just because just there's a worry about the sensitivity of it all. And you don't want to, yeah, it's, it's an emotional thing, especially out here. You feel it still every day. So, um, ultimately we just decided to keep it as is, which I, I agreed with. Well, let me ask you this. One thing that we always talk about, you and I have talked about it a few times is how you write these books it's incredibly isolating. You're by yourself. It's intense. And then it comes out and you get to come out and you get to talk about how proud of it you are and you get to promote it and you're on all these shows. And I was thinking about that and thinking about you and thinking, man, I wonder if this kind of ruins that for Jeff a little bit. Will he not be able to kind of celebrate this book in the same way that he has the previous? You know, like, Do you feel like there's kind of this wet blanket over top of it? or maybe black cloud um, over top of it that is going to kind of just kind of diminish the experience for you a little bit. So if I was like, uh, if I were a PR, if I were all about PR, I would tell you that that's ridiculous. And I'd say no, because it's a, I literally would say, I know the line I would use. I would say no, because it's a celebration of who he was in the time period and blah, blah, blah. It'll be great. And blah, 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 blah. But um, I, I don't, I'm not right. So good. <laughs> not, not, I'm a good marketer, but I'm not a dishonest one. I don't think. And, um, yeah, I mean, factually, it's not, I, you know, if it come out and he was alive, it'd be, first of all, I'd be wondering if he was going to respond to it and wondering what he would say and if he would read it. Same with Shaq, same with Phil, same with all those guys. Um, people would be asking me about, you know, the relationship between Shaq and Kobe and how it's portrayed and uh, do I think Kobe has grown and learned from it. And I would have been able to say, yeah, I would have been able to say, yeah, I'd look at him now. And I mean, even now, like talking about this, it's freaking, it's just, I, yeah, it sucks. Right. I still, I still always get excited when a book comes out. I'm sure I'll be excited when it's coming out, but it's, um, someone asked me, a friend of mine, a writer named Eric Sherman, who, I, who I've known for years, said he, he wrote on uh, Instagram the other day, he, he wrote, is this your most highly anticipated book? Uh, he was asking that in a very nice way. Um, and I don't even, in a way, it feels like my least because for me, it is like every every book release is like a, uh, I can't say it's like the birth of your child, but it's like a bar mitzvah, you know, or, or like a wedding where it's really exciting and celebratory and, you know, and, and this feels, maybe it'll feel better in September, but right now it's just such a sad topic that's a little hard for me to be all, you know, yippee hoo about. Now, I know you, you told me you didn't talk to Kobe about the book. Did you talk to Shaq or Phil? Or I did. You did? I did. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, I got eight hours with Phil in Montana. I got, I don't know what, hour and a half, two hours with Shaq in Atlanta. And they were both great. So, yeah. I'm really looking forward to reading it. And to be honest, I was not looking forward to reading Showtime because I'm not a big basketball guy. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, but – in a way, the tragedy for me, who would have been coming at this kind of as a casual reader of the topic anyway, and really only reading it because, you know, this guy that I have a relationship with through this podcast and the internet, and, you know, we text and stuff like that, 
I would have I'll always read what you write. But now I don't know, like there's just kind of a, a new interest in it. I want to know more about Kobe, I guess. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, he's fascinating. Yeah, it, it, he's really fascinating. Here's what. Wait, this is one thing you're not. People are are not really talking about yet, understandably. But I do think is a fascinating thing is name any public figure who had the sort of downfall he did in 0304 with Colorado and was able to bounce back from it. Name any public figure. Yeah, that's, that a, tough, level that's of, a tough one. Yeah. Name anyone. I mean, you can't. You, I can't think of one off the top of my head. No, first thought is O.J. Simpson, but he had no comeback whatsoever. None. Yeah. Michael Vick, not the same redemption because he was never at that. He was never. He was never Kobe's level as an icon or even as a player. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, Vic is probably the closest because he's had a pretty nice return and he's a commentator and he seems like a good guy who would learn whatever. But I, it's very. I mean, think about. Think about John Edwards talking politics. Right, with his so wife. Like, yeah. Those kind of things, Gary Hart, those kind of things happen. You're gone. Like, you're yep. done. And uh, his his return, not only his return to the basketball court, not only his return as a beloved Laker, but his re- him actually becoming the girl dad hashtag. Right. It's unbelievable. Yeah, so it's crazy. This is something I was thinking about in the days after. When someone would, uh, I think Bob Costas... Um, obviously, uh, Oprah's friend. I can't think of her name. Um, Gal King. Gal King. Yeah. When they would uh, talk about uh, about Colorado, kind of when they're putting uh, kind of a perspective on Kobe's life, when they're looking at the big picture, there's a huge backlash on that. When yeah. you were seeing that play out, were you starting to worry about? Oh man, I'm honest about this portion of Kobe's. I know you kind of touched on this. You're honest about this portion of Kobe's life. I hope that that backlash doesn't come on me now in the same way. Um, maybe is that why that prologue was so important to you? Kind of have you touched on this already, or is there a little bit of a different answer? Well, I was just thinking when you're saying this. I feel like um, I feel like all right, so I'm 47 years old, going on 48. I am definitely a more hardened person than I was when other books came out, certainly when I was at Sports Illustrated. And I do feel like the John Rocker story, the Walter Payton book, those two experiences in particular, where I faced some huge, huge uncomfortable backlash, um, sort of taught me how to deal with it and gave me some perspective on it um, and probably hardened me to the potential for that kind of thing. So it's more... It's more like you just want people to understand. Like, I really just want people to understand it's a sliver of time in his life. Uh, for the, mainly because it's important to understand it's a sliver of time in his life. Not, not because I'm overly worried about whatever, ugly tweets or hate letters or whatever. I mean, I can come with every book. And they'll probably be a little more severe for this. But um, I also think, you know what, I said this to my publisher. I learned with the USFL book a lot about marketing a book. And... I probably said on your show, like I, I, I kind of marketed that book truthfully as the book nobody wanted that I had to fight for. Right. I, I must have said that a million times because it was the book nobody wanted that I had to fight for. And I felt like people actually responded to that and kind of respected that. And I feel like it is okay to talk about this and talk about the weirdness and discomfort of having a book come out that isn't a particularly flattering portrayal of a subject and he dies. Like, there's nothing wrong with breaking down the wall and actually telling people, look, this is, 
you guys are, if you, if you are critical of this, I actually understand that. And that is okay because it, was, it is a tough and weird thing without really an answer. So I think I just, there's nothing wrong with explaining it that way. Right. I hope. I think it was a little unfair to those people who are just kind of, you know, saying, hey, we lost this guy. You know, this was his life. This one thing happened in it. And look at how, you know, like no one was really like saying he didn't do anything good. You know, like like Costas, I thought, painted a really fair picture, you know, of his life and got into the like hashtag girl dad part of it as well. You know, and I don't know. I thought that was a little unfair. But I do think that the time is like great for you. You know, I think the seven months is really important, you know, and I think well, it couldn't come out today. I mean, I wouldn't no. mind coming out now. Yeah, no, yeah. I think that seven months is huge. And I think when we get to them, get to that point, I think people are going to be excited to, like, let's read about Kobe the basketball player again. You know, like, let's talk more about the player yeah. he was. Like, let's dig into this career, you know, like, and I think that that I – think, I think the timing of it really work, works out well, actually, you know. Also, imagine, Steve, imagine if I had to – so right now you go on Amazon, you see the book there, and it says release date September. So let's say they moved it up to May. So people Too would soon, actually yeah. know the book was moved up. Yeah. People would know the book was moved up. And they would ask, Why? You moved the book up? And yeah. I'd say, Yeah. And I'd have to be honest about it. And that would be pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it was a brilliant decision not to do that. You know, well, it was uh, never even talked about. Moving it up was never discussed. So. Right. Like you said, it was moving back. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be, you know, a good time. I'm, I'm excited to read it. I'm always excited to read your books, obviously. Um, thanks for, thanks for being honest with me about those things. Um, let me, let's touch on a couple more things and I'll let you go. I'm literally sitting in my car. I got nowhere to go. (laughs) Yeah. You were out at spring training, right? I was, I was just at, uh, I was at Cincinnati Reds camp this morning. I can give you a full breakdown on David Bell's press conference. (laughs) How do the Reds look? Uh, from the press room and the one guy I, so basically, I was out there doing reporting for a book, and you know the subject, but I'm not yeah. going to talk about it. Yep. And, uh, yep. you know, I, I, I saw it as a chance to make a little extra money, so I uh, I reached out to a couple of sports editors, and I ended up, I called, uh, I reached out to an editor, a sports editor, Newsday, and I just scanned the Reds roster, and I saw they have an outfielder, uh, Travis Jankowski, from who played at uh, SUNY Stony Brook. So I said, would you want to profile Travis Jankowski? And he said, yeah, sure. So, uh I just went to Reds camp, made 150 bucks. It's kind of a joke for like an 800 word story. But I was cover just happy the gas, to go out. right? <laughs> yeah, covers the gas. It's yeah. a deal, you know. <laughs> I don't have any report. Oh, my point is, I don't know how the Reds are going to be. I could probably name five players on their team. That might be more than me. I'm not. I haven't like gotten to that mode where I like study who's where and like try to get back yeah. into baseball mode yet. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. You mentioned the rocker piece and uh, some of the reporting you did for Sports Illustrated. I want to ask you about it. Have you seen the new like monthly Sports Illustrated yet? I, I saw the first issue. I know the second issue just came out, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it came in my mailbox the other day, and um, I have a hard time opening it. It's just... Why? Well, one of the things I loved about Sports Illustrated was I knew when it came. Like, when I was in high yeah. school... Every I would, Wednesday or every Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, I would run to the mailbox because it came to my house every Wednesday. I would get off the yep. school bus, run to the mailbox, and get the sports. And I think the sports uh, sporting news came the next day. You know, and I would run. And I love that because it was like a fold-in-half paper kind of 
if you remember Sporting News at the time. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, of course. but I would just run and get like part of the charm of it was just knowing when it came out. And I have no idea when this thing's going to show up. You know what I mean? And yeah. it and it comes and I don't know. I just it's been a tough year for Sports Illustrated. Obviously, I'm not breaking any ground saying that. John Wertheim's been on the show um, and has articulated some of the hard things that have happened there um, as yeah. probably as nicely as he could. But um, as someone who worked there, uh, looking at it now, do you have any thoughts about the changes and um, what's left of Sports Illustrated? Is it is there? Do you have any like personal feelings about it? You know, like. Does it mean anything to you, I guess, is what I'm asking. Oh, I just talked. I mean, one of my closest friends in the business is Steve Canella, who's the editor of the magazine. And there's there's no one worth rooting for more than Steve. Uh, guys, nobody even knows him. It's, it's so funny. He's a brilliant, He and I were baseball writers together at SI. And he ended up taking more of the editor path. I ended up taking more of the writer path. He's one of the best human beings I've ever met. He's a, he's a super smart guy. He has integrity where a lot of people in this business do not. And he's swimming upstream. There's no doubt about it. He's battling against the current, any cliche you want. And he's just the best. Like I root for SI number one, because I freaking love that guy. And, you know, I, I want it to work. I agree with everything you just said. It's, it's weird as a monthly, it's weird. And I was a guy who liked reading about, the Super Bowl in Sports Illustrated, even though I already knew what happened in the NBA finals. And I, um, it sucks, but who's, it's just, I mean, there's this unspoken reality here, which is it's not going to last much longer because print is just dead. It's not a fruitful medium anymore. So they're doing what they can to hold on. I guess the idea is to have a more like the GQ of sports. Right. I actually think it's a smart idea because nothing else is working. Weekly magazines for magazines, except for people, maybe it's not a thing. So I don't know. It's like, I agree with everything you said. I'm as nostalgic as you are for Sports Illustrated. I love Sports Illustrated more than anyone you'll meet, but I don't really know what the, I don't know what the alternative is. I'm still a little surprised that they didn't get more traction with the like iPad version. The first time yeah. I looked at Sports Illustrated and iPad, I thought, oh my God, they did it. You know, like the pictures looked amazing on the screen. It was easy to read. There was slick extra content that linked linked to the website you know they were putting old articles like using the archive man it was so good and it nobody yeah. nobody read it but me i feel like you know what i mean like it just yeah actually a good friend of mine named elizabeth newman was kind of the head on that and she did an amazing job oh amazing um yeah it was great and uh i mean there are a lot of they never the website was never very good they Horrible. never caught up with yeah. other websites. Yeah, uh, the brand became old. You know, like I don't know. So when I left Sports Illustrated, <clears throat> excuse me, and I was just writing books to get traction with athletes, I'd always say, "Hey, my name's Jeff Perlman. I used to write for Sports Illustrated and blank." Right. And I was a Sports Illustrated senior writer and blank. I can't think of the last time I said that, and I would use that still today if it had traction, but it just. I don't think, you know, I wrote about Travis Jankowski, Cincinnati Reds, 28-year-old center fielder. I don't think I ever read a Sports Illustrated in his life. <laughs> he certainly doesn't have a emotional attachment to it. It's just, it's just a different era. The, the brand name, Sports Illustrated, never figured out how to stay hip and young and vibrant 
I mean, I remember when ESPN the magazine started, and they were having ads with like Steph Steph Marbury and and it was cool and hip hop and whatever. And that was the first moment where sports. And I was there, felt uh, adult, yeah, like really adult. Mm -hmm. And then Slam magazine, same thing, same impact on SI. And it just has never really recovered to become more. There's nothing hip in viewpoint about SI. That sucks. It's unfortunate because the writing is still freaking great. You might find this kind of interesting. When I started this show in 2011, it was really Sports Illustrated that, that like, I got, that's how I got traction, you know, because I figured out, I'm no genius, but I figured out that if you knew one person's email at SI, you knew everyone's. <laughs> you know? SIMail.com. Yeah. So I, I took advantage of that and, you know, um, you know, by the sixth episode, Joe Poznanski, who was still there at the time, was on the show. Yeah. You know, Wertheim was on the show. Lee Jenkins. Like, I really built the show on the backs of Sports Illustrated writers because they were accessible to me. <laughs> yeah, Seth, of course. Yeah. Um, but um, now. Wait, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Because this has been an interesting topic of conversation among journalists. Yeah. What do you think? Have you had Ben Ryder on your show? Of course, yes. Good friend. He's a Yale guy. I know him well, actually. Have you had him on your show since the Astros scandal? No, because he won't come on because he's saving all his Astros opinion for a project he's doing. All right, I'm going to say something. It's not. Yeah. It's not. Uh, I think that's bullshit. Okay. I don't think that's right. I just don't like that at all. And I think he's an excellent writer. I think yeah. he's an excellent reporter. I love that. But his I don't book. like that. I know, but. I mean, it's like when the guy, I forgot his name, Mark Whitaker, maybe wrote the Bill Cosby book. And, oh, by the way, he was molesting women for the last, drugging and molesting women for the last 40 years. Right. Small mission. Like, oh, yeah, the Astro Way, Astro Ball, amazing success ratio. Oh, by the way, they've been cheating for three years. <laughs> I mean, I just think, I think Ben is great. I swear to God, I think he's great. I think you got to address it. You got to be like, well. Yeah. No, I agree I with it. you. I, yeah, I thought his good. his silence was deafening for a while there. Like he was he wasn't returning like, my text, wasn't returning my email. And yeah, I wasn't surprised like he didn't want to like rush that. to my show, know. but I just think like you know I took the bullets with Walter Payton. You know, like yeah. you get bullets in this You're I took right. the bullets with Robert Clement. Like you take bullets in this business. And I think like to be like, I'm not gonna say anything. Oh, and by the way, I have this new project that I'm getting paid on and you're gonna have to wait until then. Like Eh, I'm I not feeling that journalistically. I all. totally agree with you. I totally yeah. agree with you. I, I like the guy. I, so I like do the I. Guy. Like I said, I, he's been very, very. We 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 uh, met at the the. You know, my brother was playing hockey at Madison Square Garden. They had Yale Harvard there, and you know, I got to meet him there, and um, you know, bought him a drink, and he's been great to me. And uh, yeah, you know, at first he wasn't returning my stuff, and I thought, well, he just must be doing something big first, you know, like. You know, he's going to do Scott Van Pelt or, you know, like something big or whatever. And then he'll get to me. And that's totally fair. But it was just nothing. And then all of a sudden he tweets like, you know, oh, you guys have been wondering what I think. Well, I'm going to be doing this thing in a little bit and I'll tell you then. And I had the same instinct that you did. Well, the other thing that I, I, I got to say is like, I just think, I just think, in, all right, when you have a book coming out, you ask for a shitload of favors. You do. You ask for a shitload of favors and you ask for, every, you know, can you tweet out my book on your podcast, blah, blah, like that comes with the turf. Everyone understands it. And 
you rely on people like he's relying on Steve to have him on his podcast and talk about the book. So then to not respond, uh, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's not a good look for journalism. I know? championed I, that book too. You know what I mean? That's like, what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Not cool. And I, um, I've really like changed my ways over the years. Like I used to go, I used to be really hard on fellow journalists, never for writing, but like Posnansky's Paterno book. I regret, I was so hard on him at the time and it wasn't fair and it wasn't right. And I never do it anymore, but this just really bothers me. Yeah, that, that uh, Paterno book, I can see it out of the corner of my eye right now on my bookshelf. That was a really interesting story because it was, when he went to Penn State for that year, uh, or that was the plan, um, yeah. He was very much like on my radar and like a part of the like on the show a little bit more. He hasn't been on much the last couple of years, but um, that kind of played that whole thing kind of played out on this show a little bit. And it's like, wow, what is he going to do now? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what happens to this book? Because we knew he, when that story broke, he was there, and I couldn't believe what the book was when it came out. You know what I mean? Like, um, but you know what? Wait, I will say like. Hard spot. This is where I think I, I think I was, I think I was way too hard on him. First of all, this business is hard. Like, yeah, it's a hard business. Tough it's a hard spot. business. Yeah, and I feel like decisions are hard to make. It's not easy. That was a complicated situation, and I probably like deep down, I was probably jealous of like the success of his book and like acted immaturely, which is so stupid. And I, I really try to fight those impulses, but I think in hindsight that's a big regret in my career is that I was hard on Joe Posnanski and I didn't know what he was experiencing in his shoes. And I was just stupid on my part. Right. Um, the point I, um, I was making, we kind of got off on a tangent there, but, uh, <laughs> sorry, no, that's all right. It was good. That's a good point to bring up. Um, when, so I've had a lot of, I had more success with Grantland. I would have a lot of people from Grantland on. And then when a lot of the same people from Grantland came on, uh, went to Ringer, I've had a lot of people with Ringer. And I've actually made a really good friendship with Brian Curtis. And, oh, yeah. Great writer. Yeah, and he was going to come on, right? And then he's like, oh, man, I can't come on. We're starting a union. And um, we're not doing anything but our work for the site right now. But it's Wait, gonna... they're starting what? A union? Yeah, they started a union. Um, okay. And so he's like, we've decided not to do like to promote the website at all or do anything, but our work, right? And I'm like, okay. He's like, but I'll be on in a few weeks or whatever. So I message him a few weeks later, and he's and he's like, yeah, okay, let's do it. You know, next Thursday or something. And then next Thursday came, and he's like, oh, I can't do it. And this like happened like three times. And I was. Like, wow. you know, yeah. like, oh, it's just so annoying, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, it's like one of those situations where you like write out a text like nine different times and you keep erasing it because like, <laughs> you know, you're like, no, that's not the right way. To, no, you know, and I just I end up not responding at all or just saying like, OK, you know, like, all right. Wait, so he he told you he was going to do it then canceled, said he would do a different time, canceled, said he would do a different yeah. time and you never heard from him. Well, I heard from him three different times. We scheduled it three different times. And three different times he said no afterwards because he was scheduling in anticipation, I guess, of things being cleared up and them going back to doing shows again. Yeah. And then he did the Jimmy Trainer show. 
And I wrote yeah. him and I'm like, oh, are you doing podcasts again? And he didn't write me back. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Maybe he just doesn't like your show. Yeah, maybe. It's really <laughs> shocking, though, because, like... That's not cool. Yeah. yeah I don't know. But, um, also, but my point with bringing that up and mentioning how, like, all these ESPN writers have, or uh, SI writers have been on, they're not answering me all of a sudden now. Like, they are hard to find all of a sudden. Like, Wait, SL- did you, are you still using the same email addresses? Um... Because they changed it. Yeah, it kind of depends because some I have like Gmails for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I'll have to cross-reference know. a couple with you and see if you have, like off the air, we can do that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But like I know they have like their union now and stuff and I don't know. It's just, it's a weird thing like that, that the writers and the platforms have like become like adversaries or something. Yeah, that I didn't. I, I didn't even know. Maybe because I'm deep in the cave of hell. I didn't realize that uh, the ringer had uh, had unionized. That's a really uh, weird one for me too, because like all those people have jobs because Bill Simmons decided to like start a website. Yeah. Like what? Have if, you had Simmons on? Has Bill ever done your show? No, God, no. I've been, like, so close to people with him. You know, like, people who know him really, really well. And, like, no, yeah. he just he's just never going to do it. Like, I think he's only yeah. really done um, Francesa and, like, some show in Boston. Those are, like, the only other shows he's really done. Yeah. Like, that aren't on his platform. You know what I mean? Like, he obviously does other ringer stuff, but. Well, you don't need Simmons because you got Perlman and. Uh, and Passan. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right, let's finish up. Uh, what else is going on? Anything else? Anything interesting? Anything you want to promote? You got the podcast. Oh, how was Dater? Oh, he was uh, he was good. He was interesting. He's um, it definitely felt like a therapy session for him. <laughs> you With, know, he's a good friend he, of mine, right? Like you, you know that. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, um, I feel like, and I got some blowback in that one. Not that I care, but you know, like one person, one hockey writer. It was a woman. Was like this guy, blah blah blah. Was you know. This is what he was doing to women. And, you know, the thing is, I, I feel like uh, it's not it's like think Joe Walsh, the Republican congressman, says some horribly racist things in his past. I'm not really there to, like, support what you're saying. I just find you interesting. I find his his career is interesting. You know, it's kind of an interesting sort of battle with himself. Um, so, yeah, I thought he was good. You know what I would say to that writer? Isn't he saying he was so wrong? I'm sorry. Like. So like, yeah. wh- like he can never be forgiven. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, he never. Maybe it's the way I phrased it. Maybe I phrased it too uh, as a pacifist. I was kind of like, you know, he's making this comeback and blah blah blah. And maybe it's more. I don't know. You know, there. Are, I don't know. Yeah, I understand though. People view these things differently. It's totally fine. Right. Um. But he was, he was scheduled to do it right, and then he bailed on it, and then. He was like writing yep. me. He's like, I can't do it, man. You know, like people on the internet are gonna harass me. And we yeah. actually, we actually started a podcast together a couple of years ago, and like it was the same way. Like we'd be scheduled to start it, and he'd be like, I can't do it. People are gonna Google me. I'm like, dude, you're the head right NHL writer on Bleacher Report. <laughs> people know who you are. There's, you know, like yeah. doing this podcast with me. So he is an interesting dude. He's a good friend of mine. I'm glad he finally did it. 
And I hope yeah. people. Yeah, he's my first hockey writer ever on. I hope people I give hockey. him a chance to like hear him out. You know, because yeah. I I'm no, I always defending him and saying like he was wrong. He'll tell you he was wrong. He was making horrible choices. Right. He was abusing you know alcohol and sleeping pills, and everything about his life was wrong. And he'll tell you that. And he's begging for forgiveness in a way. You know what I mean? Like. He's falling on his sword, and, and I don't know. I just feel like, you know, he, he and he also never did anything to anyone that wasn't words. You know, he never yeah. killed anyone, or I don't know. Um, but I'm glad. Yeah. I'm is glad. That bar, is that your bar? Is that your bar? Over, under, kill someone? <laughs> yeah. If you haven't killed someone. Kill or rape, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> as long as you don't do those two things, um, I think I can find a way to forgive you, probably. Um, you know, uh, I just want to tell you something interesting. Because yeah. Not, this is actually, so my daughter is 16, and she uh, Casey has a Perlman. website where you can have, Shout out. Casey, where you can, have yeah. a, you can have a prison pen pal. Okay. And she has a prison pa- pen pal now who's in, he's been uh, in Michigan jail, in a prison in Michigan for, uh, he's a life sentence. I think he's been in about 40 years for murder. And um, he's this amazing writer, and this really, it's a sad story. I, you know, yeah, and like, my daughter, actually, at the same time, is reading Jess Mercy, uh, which now is a movie, obviously, with Michael B. Jordan. Right. And she's, uh, she's just really into criminal justice. And it's been one of the great experiences, um, probably, of her life. And we take so many discussions to have about it. It's been great. So I highly recommend, um, I think it's called writeaprisoner.com. You can go through and see different people, what their crimes are, what they're in for. And there are a lot of people who just want to have someone to write to. Anyway. Has Casey all. watched The Wire? No, she's not. I haven't either. Neither of us. Oh, you guys should watch it together, especially if her she has interest in criminal justice. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, I know it's almost like a cliche to talk about how great The Wire is, right? Yeah. Like, it's almost annoying at this point. You haven't watched The Wire? What? You know? But Yeah. It's like, you haven't seen The Godfather? Right. What? Yeah, exactly. But um, I think if she's interested in criminal justice, she would All right. really, she would really be interested in it. But, um... Her and Jason Whitlock. Yes, uh, the bar mitzvah was good. Emmett Perlman. Wait, shout wait, did out. you ever get Whitlock on? Did you ever get Whitlock on your show? No, he told me. So he started a fight on Twitter with my friend Ed Sherman. Do you know Ed? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, um, <laughs> they got in an argument on Twitter about something, and I responded with a relatively neutral response to it, and he said, "This is my America," to me. And I said, all right, <laughs> like, would you like to come on my podcast and talk about it? And he wrote back, right. no. <laughs> and I said, okay. Yeah. You know what? Of all, the, uh, of all the writers out there in sports, in a lot of ways, he's the most disappointing to me because I think he's, people would disagree with me. I think he's really talented and I think he's really smart. And I think he fell in love with TV and hot takes. Oh, totally. And I, that makes me sad. Totally. He's a great writer. That guy's a great I, I can't stand him in many ways. He's a great writer. Actually. Yeah. Do you don't you get a little disappointed as someone who likes writing when a great writer like doesn't write anymore because they fall in love with TV and obviously they probably make more money or whatever, but you know they're just like not writers anymore. Like even Simmons is a good example of that. When I was in college, I loved reading Simmons. I hate basketball kind of. Yeah. I would read his NBA stuff all the time. He never writes anymore. Yeah, but you know what? It's like um, 
it's like the Rick Riley thing. When Riley went, went from SI to ESPN, you know how Riley got, Riley just would get killed. Yeah. Obviously, we're just like, destroyed. And I was like, and people would say, oh, he used to be such a great feature writer. Oh, he was such a great columnist at SI, and he was. And yet his stuff at ESPN wasn't nearly as, as good. But like, it's hard to stay motivated doing the same thing. You That's know, like fair. Gary Smith yeah. stopped writing That's for SI. Like, mm-hmm. It's just hard. I'm sure Bill Simmons, how, how long can he be? It's like, how long is he really going to be the sports guy? Right. Like, how long are you going to do that for? Like, if the stick gets, I don't, I don't want to write, I don't want to write profile. If I, if I was still writing profiles for SI about like the third baseman for the Royals, I'm stabbing. People can do it and they love it. Like, Verducci loves it and is always great at it. But a lot of people just think it's tired and it gets, gets old. So I think Simmons, it just got old. Riley, it just got old. You know, yeah. it just happens. You know how I said I would pull like run to the mailbox every Wednesday to get my SI. The very first thing you I run read, to read every time, every back week, page back page every week. Yeah. Hate what is it? Hate mail for cheerleaders or whatever is one of my favorite sports books. Oh yeah, you know, just a collection, yeah. pretty much of those columns. You know, I absolutely love love Rick Riley, and you know, I don't know that the quality of his stuff went down. Maybe it did or didn't. I just didn't read it, really. You know, like, he yeah. he went somewhere else, and, I, he, like, my eyes didn't follow it or whatever. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I get it. I really uh, I really have a soft spot for him, for Rick. I just I just find him a really – I just think he's a good guy, and, like, he is a good guy, and, and he took so much crap, deserved or not, and he, he generally is a, is a sort of enjoyable and big-hearted guy and just a really talented guy, and – I would love that to far have, away from me. I would love to have him on sometime. It's kind of like Feinstein was a guy I would like. Oh, I would love to have him on, and I finally have a couple times. Um, what happened? Oh no, I'm getting pulled over. Am I getting pulled over? I think I'm getting pulled over. Okay, I'll sit in the background till you know for I sure. I think I am. Were you speeding? Uh, no, but he might have seen the phone glowing, but it looked like a GPS. Hold on. Okay. Wait. Hold on. Uh, can't tell. <laughs> Don't have this on the show, okay? Too mad. No, of course not. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Wait. He might be pulling over someone else. Oh, nice. Oh, be... Is that bad that I'm, like, happy it's not me? No, of course you want it to be someone guy? else. Yeah, it's someone else. Okay, All right. Good. You can use that then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to cut that. I would have I would have charged you because that would have been because I was using my phone. I'm not really even using it, but I would have tried. I would have sent you the bill. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, we split it 50-50. That will be our deal. If you get a phone ticket when you're on this show, I'll split it with you. All right, fair enough. Um, you want to wrap up? No, whatever. Um. Well, let me think. For but just let me think for a second if I covered everything I wanted to cover. Since we're editing right now, anyway, I can take a second too. Anything else you want to talk about? We should do. You know, we would be a fun show one time. Hmm. You do like best. Like you ask writers who they who they think the best this and the best that is. It'd oh be yeah, interesting. You know. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Best leads, best you know transition, best you know whatever. Sometimes authors, it's hard to get on. the truth out of people though, is they don't want to. I'd be honest. Yeah, I don't I know want to rip you anyone, would. I'd tell you who I think the, the best are, you know, who yeah. my favorites are. Yeah. yeah. All right, you ready? I'm going to restart. Oh.
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was really excited to have Feinstein on when that finally happened, and I'd love to have Riley sometime. You know, some of these guys who were, like, huge, huge writers when I was, like, in high school and college. And, um, you know, they're actually, like, Feinstein's still, I guess, a pretty big writer. Like, when he he puts out – he's kind of like you in a way, right? He, like, puts out books mostly as his job. Do you – Yeah. Are you like uh, Tarantino? Do you have, like, a number of books you want to write? Like, do you think in your head, like, I think I want to write five more and then do something else or do not think that far ahead or. I mean, so the book, the Laker book is number nine. The book after that's number 10. I don't think I'm going to be Feinstein and write. I mean, it's probably up to like 25th book. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't, that doesn't really, I don't think that's me. Like I, I didn't, I didn't, I kind of thought for a long time 10 would be it, but that's probably like. Um, but I don't think that many more. I don't know. I, it might be the kind of thing where I look back 10 years from now, I have another 10 books or eight books, but I just, uh, it takes a lot out of you. It does take a lot out of you. And, um, I would like to try like screenwriting. I would like to try more, you know, narrative podcasts. Like there are different things, different kinds of writing out there. Um, so yeah, maybe I hit 12 books. Maybe that's possible. I don't know. Probably you, not that many more. Are you still doing the TV thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, by doing, by doing, are they making a TV show out of my... my no, yeah. no, 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 no. I meant last time you were on, you were telling me about how you were going once a week or once a month to... Oh, oh, oh. no, the show got canceled. Oh, did it? Bummer. That was um, Leahy, Christine Leahy. And uh, what was their game? I hate to admit it. I don't remember the name of the show. Yeah, I it think... got uh, It got canceled. It's too bad. It was a, you know, it was a talk show and I... Talk shows just don't last. They're really hard to have sports talk shows. Yeah, high moon, rated. high moon, high noon just got canceled. That with Pablo Torre and um, uh, Bamani Jones. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, Michael K used to. Have, I actually, I don't know if Michael K used to have the show Center Stage. Yeah, the interview I don't know show. If it's still on. Yeah, and yeah. Still on. That was really good. I think he still does them now and again. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. But it's hard. I don't know. They just don't get uh, ad revenues. Uh, the. Next book, of course, is the Lakers Three Ring Circus, and you can pre-order it now on Amazon and Apple. I think I sent you the screenshot the first time I seen it of the. Oh yeah, you uh, sure did. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Of the pre-order, yeah, and uh, I'm always like the last guy to find everything out. Right, not always, but often. Two writers, uh, Slinging Yang is the podcast. Uh, is the yeah, Quaz okay. still in hibernation? Yeah, Quaz is in deep hibernation. Yeah, are you done with it? You think? No. But there's only so many hours in the day. You know? Yeah. So, no. Do you... Take a, make, take a break. Do you, how close were you this time to thinking about taking a shot, like, at the Tupac book or, you know, doing a non-sports book? Like, does that still... Is that something that oh. you think about more and more or less yeah, and less? Yeah, definitely. Or? I do. Um, so, basically, with Tupac, I told my agent I wanted to write a Tupac book. And... He found out that Tupac's estate was actually looking for a writer to write a book with the estate and kind of like an authorized Tupac biography. Oh. Um, and he came back to me. I think he mentioned my name to them, but I, I don't think I would do that anyway. I don't okay. think I really want to do that. Um, and then I just, the more I, I just think it's kind of a harder sell than I initially, I initially, cause I love Tupac and I initially wrote Tupac biography. It'd be amazing and blah, blah, blah. 
I'm not entirely. There's been a lot about Tupac out there, like a lot about Tupac. If, if any artist over the last 20 years, hip hop at least, has had sort of overkill, it's probably been him. And I just started thinking about that and got a little intimidated and kind of backed off. Is there is there something else in pop culture or music or would you want to do a politics book? Man, I don't think I could because I think I would want to cut my hair off. And, you, know, <laughs> you have hair? I don't think I could. I, I uh, You know, not much. <laughs> um, I have some, though. But uh, <laughs> not a ton. Um, I think that would drive me to drink. I mean, I, I again, I would love to do some sort of – I could do a pop. Like I always tell – I love the French – this sounds corny, but – Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter were arch rivals. They ran against each other in 76. Uh, Carter and Ford hated each other. And then they became super, super close friends, like best friends. Used to travel together. Their wives became close. It's one of my favorite stories just in the world, not just politics. I would love to write a book about the friendship between Carter and Ford. I don't know if anyone buys it, but that kind of book I could be persuaded to do. I wish you would do a hockey book. I don't care. What I know you I don't, don't, but there's got to be a topic that would light you up, like something like with international play or writing about like the Soviet defectors or something like that. What about the Big East? That seems like the old school Big East basketball. Oh man, did I talk to you about that? That has yeah. been a book idea. Oh, has yeah. it? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've thought about that. I because I love the characters in it. Yeah, and um, you know, so many NBA players. Um, it might be a little regional. Is it? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And also, like, this is what they always ask with books, and I actually do agree with it. Like, all right, who is the star of that book? Is it? It's the Big East. Ewing, who, yeah, but you need a, so you so many characters to hang on. It can't just be, like, so who's your star? Who's your who's your marquee character? Right. Like, Ewing, not very charismatic. Mullen? Who cares? Like, okay. I know it sucks, but, like, right. it's talking marketing. Like, who cares? Pearl Washington, too obscure. Billy Donovan, eh, maybe. Um, John Thompson, you know, I don't. So it's just, I don't know. I yeah. love the idea. I love that time period. I, it'd be easy to talk to all those guys. Writing just about Villanova Georgetown would be a joy. But um, I don't know. Maybe. 90s Braves? Nobody cares. I mean, nobody cares. Well, then what, what do people care about in baseball? What? I mean, increasingly less and less, unfortunately. Um, it's still about nostalgia because the modern game just doesn't seem that it changes people that much. I, think, I mean, I think one day the Astros, I think one day the Astros cheating scandal will be a hell of a buck. I think, I think you're a little bit, out, I think you're a little bit wrong that nobody cares about the nineties Braves. That was a national team. That was, you know, who's they buying were buying the book. Who's buying the book? Well, who's, Brave. Spending twenty five bucks to read a book about the nineties Braves. People who are fans of the nineties Braves. That's not that many. No, it is. They were a national team. They were like Yankees in the nineties. Yeah, but they're, aren't, they're they not. They were on TBS. Their fan base is their fan base is not a Yankee like fan base. And in fact, it's kind of funny because I remember covering. I covered a lot of Braves games during my time at Sports Illustrated, like a lot. And I was always at the Braves for the playoffs. Um. And they struggled to draw people because people got bored of it all. Like every year. In fact, that book sounds like a nightmare, to be honest, because I remember covering it and it'd be like, oh, yeah, the Braves are back in the playoffs and they're playing the Cardinals in the first round. Oh, the Braves are back and they're playing whoever, the Mets. And the, like you'd have interesting pockets of Chipper, Rocker, I guess the three aces. Dave Justice. I don't, eh, yeah, I guess. I don't Holly see Berry. It. I just don't. 
I, hey, look, I love Halle Berry. No. She's the next guy out there. I did. She was my crush of crushes, but I don't. I don't. I don't think it sells. I don't. I would wonder, like, what kind of list you would come up with of books that would sell for baseball? Because, like, if you if that I tell you right now is that dismissive? I tell you right now. Yeah, I'll give you right now. Me serious. Okay, or I'll give you an example of something we might have talked about because I use this example a lot. Okay. Um, Brett Favre was a. I'm not saying this because it was my idea. I mean, it ended up working out really well. It was a great idea for a book. He was iconic. He'd been retired long enough that there was some mystique. He had a full career you could talk about. He came from an interesting background, right? Okay. Brett Favre, perfect subject for biography in sports. Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, that's a good same one. Same career. Great one. Why is it, though? That's my point. Yeah. Same career. Yeah. Iconic player. Oh, yeah. Hall of Famer. Played almost his whole time. We played with two teams. He's a Mariner. Backwards hat. Um, Who's buying it? Oh, I think that that has the same appeal that Favre does. Why not? Because he's not an, he's not an icon. Ken Griffey Jr. isn't an icon. No, he's a superstar, but he's not an icon. Man, Reggie Jackson was an icon. How do all Jr. these books get written? Like, but it's not about writing them. It's about it's about having them sell. Some publisher will always be like, "Yeah, we'll give it." You know, they'll give they'll take shots on deals, and a lot of times, I feel like I swear to God. I do not have that many skills. There are better writers. There are better at better everything. I do feel like I kind of understand when someone says, "Here's a book I want to write." I you, think, "Oh man, that has automatic." I'm like, surprised that you don't Clemens. think you could write that. You could sell a a Griffey book. I think you could sell that book. I don't think I could sell it big. Yeah, I don't you think know. I, I mean, it. you know more about. It's silly for me to argue with you about it because you know no, way more about silly. it than me. Well, you could be right. I don't think it's a big seller. I think Farber's an icon, and I think Griffey was a superstar. This is a difference. Reggie Jackson was an icon. right? What? Reggie Jackson, icon. Mike Schmidt, superstar. A Reggie Jackson book. Reggie ba- Mike Lubick is a Reggie Jackson book. Sold huge. Nobody would ever buy a Mike Schmidt book. Right. You know? No, I agree, but I think that Griffey's a bigger star than... I mean, Griffey's I know, like hip-hop and culture and, you know, like... So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was just... At that age when I he was him. playing, you know, I what loved I mean? him. I love Griffey, love Griffey, but I don't think a book sells that much, especially now. Especially played in Seattle. So give a me market, a couple of a... baseball books that would sell. Is it only the Yankees? Like what? I mean, all right. Hold on. Let me all ask right. you this: Molly, uh, Molly sold that Dodgers book really well. Like Griffey isn't bigger than that 2017 Dodgers team. I haven't seen so I haven't seen the sales figures on it, but that doesn't mean you're wrong. I mean, I know I think it made the list. Yeah, I think, and yeah, I think it did. I will say she busted her ass. Right, she's selling that thing. Like she did a she great job, and it was a great right. book. She and, wrote a great book. Yeah, yeah, and also like there are outliers to my law, like um, Sea Biscuit, uh, Boys in the Boat, Moneyball. If you told me all, all three of those ideas, if you told me of oh, these, oh, what do you think of these? I'm like, I don't know. That's an uphill climb. Hers is another one. Like those are. I'm just saying, like, there's some books that are automatic. Not automatic, but you feel like you're in a very good position. Like, my Shaq Kobe book, it may not sell. Like, it may not sell. There's a chance it does crap. But the topic alone puts me in a pretty good position because Kobe and Shaq and Phil Jackson uh, are iconic NBA figures. And so are the Lakers, right? Like, they're an iconic team. so are the Lakers. Yeah. But if I were doing, let's say Sacramento won all those, won two of those championships. Would I be pitching a Chris Weber, Mike Bibby, Doug Christie, Rick Adelman, Kings book? No. This is just different. 
it's not always about success. It's about more than success. Okay, so give me a few baseball books. Can you think of a few topics? You, I mean, you had to have thought of this, right? I mean, are there maybe topics? Like what is modern? like what is a marketable bit? Like what is a book you could write by your standards? Like okay, so Griffey's out, the Braves are out. Um, what about the Yankees, Red Sox, o three, o four, that period there? I don't think so. What Maybe about the Cubs so. breaking the curse? What about the Cubs? Well, Verducci did a book I think sold pretty well. Oh yeah, the um, Cubs way. Good book, actually. I like that. I didn't read it. I liked it. Yeah. Um, I think it's more like, all right, who's a guy? Who was I just thinking? I had someone in my head who could sell okay. Like um, Randy Johnson, probably not. No, no. Greg you know, Maddox? Like if you were like, I'm going to do, do the Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, Diamondback run. It's right. not. It's just not it. Like, you can maybe – or you can make an argument, although I don't think I buy it, for uh, – for Maguire, Sosa, and that season. Okay. And maybe write a really great book about that season, and maybe you have a shot. Maybe, just because it was so huge. Um, the other thing is, also, I will say, it does depend a little bit on the author. Like, there are authors. There's that- just big-time authors. And I'm not saying I'm one of them, actually. There are authors who... Michael Lewis writes a book. Michael Lewis could come out tomorrow with Diamond... Do the Randy Johnson, Kurt Schiller, right. Diamond. Yeah, he can write whatever that. he wants, yeah. Yeah, he can... You know, so... But I can't, you know, I can't. What about so, your friend, Michael Lewis? No, probably not. <laughs> no. I, I once tweeted him, like, begging him to be on the show. And he's like, you know really? I'm this. Yeah, he's like, you know I'm not that guy, right? Oh, <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, he'd have more of a shot than me. It's just hard. I mean, what about I mean, I think, you know, Mariano yeah, Rivera? I mean, uh, he did a book with Wayne Coffey. Okay. It sold okay. Oh, yeah, I can picture Maybe. the cover now, actually, in my head. He's kind of boring. But I think you could do – I still think you could do a book about the sort of Yankee – I think any book that involves, like, that dynasty of Jeter. Right. Or I like Posada. the idea – maybe I'm crazy, but the 03 to 04 Red Sox-Yankees with the two big series and the A-Rod in between the two seasons and him going to the Red Sox. No, he's going to the Yankees. You know, yeah. the comeback. I think That's that maybe could be a good one. Yeah, that's not bad. That's pretty good. I mean, it's harder to sell books than it used to be, too. It's just more right. it's harder. So, let me th- yeah, let me, I don't know. I like this game. Let me throw a couple of football ones at me. You tell me if this is a book you could write. All right, go ahead. I oh. only have like three minutes left in my drive, though. Fair so enough. Go we gotta, I got to probably pay attention to my family, too. Go ahead. Give me the football. Um, Peyton Manning. Probably not, but maybe. Um. Is there already too much about the Patriots? Uh, no, I think you could still. I think you could still. You could still milk that. I think. What about? I think you could. What about Lawrence Taylor? It's been done already. He wrote a book, though, right? I mean, isn't that junk? Oh. Um, I heard his book was pretty good. I was it? it? I, I um, someone wrote an '86 Giants book. Did they? And I don't think it made. I don't remember who it was. It didn't make that much noise. It's tough. You know what's you know what is is a problem with nostalgia that I've learned, I've definitely learned is nostalgia moves with with the years. So, I'd say that like I'll tell you a book that I think could sell. Okay. Uh, LeBron Heat Dynasty. You did a really deep dive into the LeBron Heat years. Okay. I think That's you have a good thing. Yeah, kind of starting with the decision and going from there. 
hundred percent. I think that and ending with him leaving, him going back to Cleveland. Right. I think that's a book that sells. Like people, I don't know how many people are nostalgic anymore for Lawrence Taylor. All right, I'll tell you this. Here's the perfect thing I can tell you. I was at A's spring training two days ago, and oh, and I was at Royal spring training. Okay, the Royals had a table set up uh, at the stadium. Meet famous Royals. Okay. And the day I was there, Willie Willie Wilson was the famous Royal. Yeah. Remember yeah. Willie Wilson? Yep. Okay. Willie Wilson was a great freaking player. He was an all-star. He led the league in hitting. He's a Hall of Famer. Like, I'm not a Hall of Famer. He's a Royal Hall of Famer. It's just a lot. I would say I watched. I would say in an hour, maybe three people went up to Willie Wilson. I was at A's the next day. They have the same exact thing. It was Burt Campanaris and Blue Moon uh, Odom, two stars of the 70s A's. It hurt me to watch. It was painful for me to watch. <laughs> Nobody come up. It was sad. It was genuinely sad. Like hard. I almost thought it was unfair of the A's to put these guys in this position without testing it first. It just felt mean. Right. Especially not with- in Oakland and not in Kansas City, yeah. right? Like you just in some was- random city in Arizona or whatever. Yeah, it, it hurt. It actually hurt me. It was like, it made me extremely sad. And I feel like nostalgia works that way. Like every year that passes, fewer and fewer people remember Lawrence Taylor. Uh, remember him as a player and it just gets difficult you know and that's how it works so i think a lawrence taylor book five years ago would have a better shot than today and a lawrence taylor book today would have a better shot than five years from now the 85 royals were the first team i knew of that won the world series yeah i love that team. you know like in the moment like that's the first team i remember like oh the the first super bowl i watched was the bears and the patriots super bowl 20 i think all right, like here's a weird one. Yeah. 85 Bears. Someone did do a book, actually, and it was good. Um, that's a good book. 85 Bears is something. That is a nostalgic team. Right. Like that's the thing. That is a nostalgic team. Something about that team. It's not just Walter Payton. It's not, something about that team just did it for people. 2000 you know? Ravens? Ray Lewis Ravens? Maybe. Ray Lewis, Ed Maybe. Reed, that? I don't know. You, yeah, Ray Lewis isn't a bad book. Yeah. Ray Lewis is a pretty good book, actually. Yeah, Ray Lewis is a good book. You know, I think Michael Irvin. I think a Michael. Irvin, I think a Michael Irvin biography is a good book. You'd have a hard start on that one, as you already wrote a book about the Cowboys. Yeah, so. I don't want to write that book, but <laughs> you, I think it's a good book. All right, next time you're on, I'm gonna have a list of like a hundred of these. <laughs> all right, great. I love it. I love it. Uh, the Sportscasters uh, with our friend Jeff Perlman, two writers slinging Yang, JeffProman.com. The Lakers book, you can pre-order it now. Um, thanks for all the time, buddy. It's best to. Uh, uh, to Casey and the new man. Um, uh, <laughs> Thank Emmett. You. Thanks for the shirt. Yeah. The shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love Emmett. Yeah. Um, and I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Steve. I want to thank our friend Jeff Proman for that. Also, John Feinstein. Don't forget, you can hear this podcast and every episode of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports casters. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. And you can always email me at the sportscasters at gmail.com. I have some books to give away. Hit me up there. 
please, 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 if you can, an Apple podcast review, five stars if you can do it. They say it's important. We do not have enough of them. Uh, If you can do that, that'd be great. Don't forget about my friend at Greetings from Allentown, uh, the great Peter Winson, at GF Allentown Pod for more information there. He just did two really cool episodes at Oskulia on uh, the uh, Bill Watts promotion. Uh, he does the last episode uh, with Bill Watts in charge and then does the first episode uh, with WCW in charge or uh, Jim Crockett Promotions at the time. Uh, so check that out. It's at GF Allentown Pod. Uh, our podcast, the Adams Division Podcast, will be back in the next week or two. We have half of it recorded and we plan on having... The other half recorded this week. And then we'll get it out to our friends at Place to Be Nation. Uh, they're on Twitter. That's changed. It's at Place to Be Nation, all letters now. So it's at P L A C E T zero or O. I'm, excuse me. Let me start that again. It's at Place P L A C E T O B E N A T I O N. So all letters, Place to Be Nation on Twitter and Place to Be Nation.com is the website. And they're currently doing a Sports Logos tournament uh, if you want to jump in on that. Real quick, I want to mention, uh, probably be the last time I do a Place to Be Nation um, plug. They don't really do one for me, so there's really no reason to do it every week. Uh, and I, But I will do one quick one for Justin from there. He has a new thing, uh, the North-South Connection, uh, with this guy Chad, who I don't really care for, but... Uh, Look, if you want more information on Justin's own thing that he's doing, I don't know the politics of it, uh, but apparently he's not part of Place to Be Nation, but he's still doing his show that I'm on, I guess. Just follow him on Twitter. He's at JT the Pod Guy, and I'm sure he has all the information about how to find his new venture uh, with Chad, who's the South part of that. Should be easy enough for you to find. All right. All that said, one last thing for today. I was gone on vacation with my family to Disney World. Now, I will say this. I am not an adult who gives a shit about Disney World. I could care less about it if I never went to Disney World again. Be no skin off my back. But I have a little daughter. And as life goes, when you have a little daughter, uh, things change. You do things like trick-or-treating that I never gave a shit about. And vacations to Disney World. My mother-in-law turned 60 uh, in March, and as part of her 60th birthday, she took the family, uh, my wife, myself, my daughter, her, and my father-in-law to Disney World, which was great because it's very expensive, and we didn't pay for much, little to nothing. Uh, So it was almost a free vacation to Disney World. We were there for seven days. Uh, It was Paula's first time in an airplane, and she loved it. She... (laughs) She was not scared. She didn't cry. She was pretending she was on a roller coaster and watching her iPad and eating snacks, and she loved it. Um, And we stayed at Port Orleans French Quarter, which was an amazing resort. Uh, I loved staying there. It was a super cool place to stay. And I think I did mention that I got really lucky, and the first night we were there, Better Than Ezra was playing at the Hard Rock. Uh, So I went down to that, got to have a Better Than Ezra concert. One of my top 15 bands, probably. And got to go see that. A really cool venue. Great gig. Had a lot of fun uh, checking that out. I think I put a video on my Instagram, which is at Sportscasters, if you want to check that out. 
And then the rest of the time, I really did my own thing. Being as far out, you know, as close to surgery as I was, I'm not 100%. And I didn't want to slow Paula down at all. I wanted her to be able to do everything that my wife had planned with her. And my wife is a planner, and she does love Disney, and she had fast passes and dinners and this park and then that park and this. I didn't even try to keep keep up with that. I would meet them here. I'd meet them there. I'd do two hours in the morning, take a nap, do two hours at night, three hours at night, whatever. Kind of just went at my own pace. And it worked out really well. I got to do some really cool things with uh, Paula. We rode the teacups together. Uh, I rode the Tower of Terror by myself. Uh, We had some great dining experiences. We did this thing called Chef Mickey for breakfast, which was like a breakfast buffet with characters would come. It was really awesome. I really love that uh, part of the experience. I would recommend, you know, Chef Mickey really anytime. That was really cool. Uh, We did this thing at Ohana. Um this uh, uh, breakfast, and then we did a dinner as well. Uh, those were the, both pretty cool. The only thing we did meal-wise that I didn't like was this thing called Be Our Guest. Uh, I just thought it was a lot of effort for a sandwich, and I don't care about Beauty and the Beast. Didn't enjoy that. We did another thing called uh, the Sci-Fi Theater. That was awesome. Uh, Paula was in some shows. We went to this Frozen sing-along. It was like the worst hour of my life. I wanted to kill myself. I hated that. Um, But overall, I mean, it was a great vacation. Uh, Tammy and I went to this place called The Boathouse and had dinner there and uh, walked around Disney Springs, which used to be downtown Disney last time I was there. And um, we had a really nice night out. And then I tossed around the hotel room, which was fantastic. Um, So it was fun. Like I had a really great time. Uh, just because I don't care about Disney that much doesn't mean I can't have fun there. And I'm sure I'll be back. You know, my daughter is nowhere near uh, 18. I'm sure we'll do three, four, five of these vacations in her life. Uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a great time. It was a great time with family. Paula got to do the boopity boppity boopity boutique, whatever it's called. She loved that. Uh, the only bad thing was she was... She's 38 inches tall. And you need to be 40 inches tall for the Star Wars ride she wanted to go on. So she couldn't get on that, and she started crying, and I had to pretend that I threatened them, and I told her that they said she could be on first next time she comes. We're hoping she forgets that, but she probably won't. So we're going to have to figure out a way to get her on pretty close to first in a couple years or whenever we go back, because she'll definitely be 40 inches then. Uh, But she had a blast, and I had a blast with her, and a great time with my family. And, you know, it felt good just to be there after everything I've been through the last, you know, 330 days or so now. Uh, but I just wanted to, uh, you know, kind of check in on that. Look, at it's going to be, it's going to be a long few weeks, few months maybe for everyone. And I'm not one of these guys like that are pissing me off on social media, who think they're like the authority, and they're not authorities; they're just jabrones like me. And they're saying, "Oh, don't do this, don't do that." I'm not that guy. Uh, I just hope you stay safe and stay healthy. You know, protect yourself and protect your family. Do what you have to do. Try not to get too bored. You know, it's going to be a long couple weeks, a long month, something we haven't really had to go through. I should be going to Pearl Jam tomorrow. I'm not. That pisses me off. Uh, But I just hope everyone is safe and careful and has a good couple weeks and couple months. And we'll be back real soon for episode number four of this season.